Episode 9 of Not So Famous, the variety show podcast that brings you laughs, love, and that feeling of dread as you realize that the seasons are slowly dying and the world is just going to become two seasons of the biting cold and the sizzling summer and spring is just going to be a few of these days at like 70 degrees and then it'll be 110 and global warming is real and oh, okay. Okay, I can hear you laughing, Marcus. I'm done. I'm saving it. I'm sorry. Who let me have a show? Who thought this was a good idea? Oh, yeah. You did. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> this is the second time I've been called out as executive producer on a show today. <laughs> well, I, I mean... I'm going to start docking some pay soon. Oh, my God. <laughs> docking some pay? Really? <laughs> um, you guys going to... I'm going to put you all in the negatives. Oh, <laughs> here we go again. Welcome, everybody. We're happy to have you. Before we get started, I just want to thank you all for making this show possible by lending your time and your ears and remind you that this show is for you guys. I know we make it seem about us, but it's about you. And it's a long show, but it's not necessarily made to be listened to all at once, so feel free to jump around, listen to the segments you love, skip the ones you don't. And now, without further ado, let's jump into our Crisis of the Week here on Episode 9 of Not So Famous. Marcus, what do you got for me? So, you know, the past couple of weeks, uh, past couple of episodes, um, I really, really have been enjoying this whole challenge thing. Um, so I, I'd like to, I'd like to put like a, just a little, little sticker, a little temporary sticker over the crisis part of crisis of the week and put a challenge of the week for you. Mm. <clears throat> because folks, there is a lot of hate going on in the world. Um, there's a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of sadness mm -hmm. and every day it just seems to kind of get worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to decide as members of the human race, members of this society, we have to stop and say, you know what? Enough's enough. And I'm going to work towards the betterment of mankind mm -hmm. instead of just trying to constantly destroy it. Absolutely. Um, now, listen, there's always going to be evil in the world. Um, there's always going to be heartache. There's always going to be strife. But the thing is, is that we have to stop seeking it. You know, yeah. we need, we need to, we need to tell ourselves, you know what, I'm going to make the choice to be happy. Now, and I've said this on the show before, it's not that easy. No, it's, it's never, right. It's never, it's never easy to just say to, to yourself, I'm going to be happy um, because it, it, uh, things are important to you, right? Mm -hmm. Some of you might be going through something right now that you're like, Marcus, I don't know how you how you can tell me that because I'm in the pit of despair. I'm constantly crying, crying myself to sleep, can't sleep at night. You know, how do I do that? And I think it's because we need to learn to seek out love. We don't allow ourselves to do that. Um, you know, sometimes if I go to school and I'm dealing with my students, Sometimes I get in my head like, oh, this is that class, you know, mm -hmm. 
This is the class that's going to give me a hard time. And so I've got to be a hard ass right back um, because I've got to still do my job. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that I love those moments, those in-between moments when I can take a step back and I can say to them, you know what? I know that right now I am not your favorite person, but I still love you. And we're going to make it through this together. And I need to go to quote My Hero Academia, one of my favorite animes. I need to go beyond plus ultra. Right. (laughs) And what (laughs) and let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you what that means to me when I when I watch this on the show. Right. When they say go beyond plus ultra, it's like go beyond what you can do and then go even further with it. So I'm going to love you. Right. I'm going to go beyond what I initially came into the class with. I'm going to go beyond. I'm going to love you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to get you to a point of success. Now, whether or not you acknowledge that I helped you get to that point of success, it doesn't matter because that's not why I got into teaching. Mm -hmm. I didn't come into teaching so that I could be glorified. I came into teaching so that you could be successful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And let me tell you something. There's a lot of things that get in your way of doing that. Mm -hmm. You get, you got parents who don't understand. You've got administrators who don't understand. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm very blessed to not have this issue. And matter of fact, we were talking about this before I uh, called in sick this week. Um, I'm very blessed to have a coworker that understands. But you're not always blessed to have a coworker that understands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when you if you if you don't have that ability, you still have to keep fighting. You still have to figure out how can I stop seeking out conflict how can I stop seeing only the negative in my life and start looking forward, look going beyond plus ultra and seeking out love? Yes. And I, I, I feel <laughs> like the start of this, Marcus, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying. And I, I completely mm-hmm. I mean, look at you right now. You're on the show. We're recording. You're sick. You've been calling out sick of work. <laughs> I totally mm-hmm. get it. I mean, I, I was sick this week, too. I had this like minor food poisoning. <clears throat> and yeah. the fact that we we still have to you know be able to look at ourselves and look at those around us. And, and mm-hmm. find the light and, and seek out that love. And I think that the the very first step in, in seeking out love and, and learning to, you know, kind of stopping your pattern of negativity and mm-hmm. and altering that pattern towards positivity, it, it, you're right, it's not easy. But it starts with the single step of communication. Mm-hmm. And communication mm-hmm. is so vital to you know, how we exist as human beings. And I think that we take it for granted and we take uh, for granted the information that our senses give us. Um, Like how many things purposefully do we block out every day? You know what I mean? Right, Um, right. We just, we make these assumptions. We're like, like you're saying, this class is just going to be my bad class. But when you let yourself open up and say, Oh, what are my senses telling me as I walk in this room? Look at these kids. Wow. You know what? They don't look great. They don't look happy. Let me acknowledge that. Guys, I know I'm not going to be your favorite person, right? That communication, taking that mm-hmm. step, that's what's going to help you in the long run. And, mm-hmm. and it works for so many situations, right? Like realizing, communicating with yourself, you know? 
as soon as I start to felt start to feel sick, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fall behind, right? I just got this new job. I'm going to have to call out. Like, what the hell is going to happen? Are they going to be upset with me? Um, you know, how am I going to get the things done that I need to get done? I have so many responsibilities. And I started just saying, what is, what is that? Like, why am I putting that on myself? Right, right, right. Asking the question instead of just assuming like I'm not good enough, I'm I'm fucked up, right? I, what? Why am I doing that to myself? What is actually going on? And I realized I'm not paying attention to myself. I haven't mm-hmm. had a day off in who knows long, how long, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe this is my body saying, "All right, like I can only take so much. You can only put me through so much." Yeah. And yeah. we do that all the time in so many different situations. And, and I could go on and on and on. But but next time, you know, you encounter negativity um, and, and, and you know, I'm, I mean, I'm saying this to myself as well. The next time we encounter negativity, whether it be from ourselves, whether it be from a, an external source, um, a partner, a parent, you know, that little voice in our head, our anxiety, our depression, society, whatever it may be, take a moment to identify that and really let yourself feel what's going on mm-hmm. and then communicate, okay, plan of action, right? Whatever that is to you. If you need to take a 15-minute break and then write it all out on a list and, and come back to it. Or you just need to get something done. I know I need to take a shower. So I'm just going to do that. Jump in the shower, right? It's those little things um, mm-hmm. that make the mm-hmm. biggest difference. And that will ultimately let you, you know, if, if you learn to seek out love in yourself and in your daily mm-hmm. communication, just in your own mind, you will learn to seek out commu- love and communication with others in, in your daily life. And mm-hmm. those things work in a circle, in a cycle, you know? They just spit right back at each other. So the better interactions that you have with others, the better interactions you're going to have with yourself and vice versa. I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And it's so funny just like how interrelated our lives are, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. like you, I I mean, you wrote this into our notes and I jumped on and I (laughs) was like, oh my God, this is perfect. It's exactly (laughs) what I've been thinking. Yeah. Um, which, you know, just goes to show you how interconnected we are, and we don't always realize it. So I think mm-hmm. that's a great challenge, Marcus, and it's a great challenge Thank for you. myself. And let's go forward into these next couple of weeks with it and, and see what we can yeah. do, because the world's changing. I know I, I lamented about spring and <laughs> summer immediately going into the awfulness mm-hmm. of global warming, but <laughs> it was warm yesterday on, on you know this side of the planet and that mm-hmm. that feels good it did it did it felt it, it was definitely uh something that i felt like we all we all definitely needed you know to just feel to just go outside and feel it be nice and warm finally it wasn't snowy it wasn't too hot um this this and fall is probably my favorite times of year Mm-hmm. Um, me too. <clears throat> just cause, you know, just the, you know, just the smell, even though it, you know, probably attributes to my, uh, my bronchial tubes, uh, being inflamed right now, uh, with all this pollen. Poor guy. It still feel, I know, right? Uh, it still feels good to just, you know, go outside and just be like, oh man, like this is, this is nice. I'm kind of regretting, um, well, I'm kind of upset because, uh, as of this recording, 
Um, I can't go outside and have a nice stout and smoke a nice cigar um, on my on my patio, um, on my balcony to uh, to enjoy it. But yeah, I'll do it next weekend. Yeah, and and hey, you know, half of the battle is to identify those things that do bring you joy, right? Mm-hmm. Like and be like, mm-hmm. oh god, I, my body is killing me. Like this, wor- I need to slow down. I need to take a minute. What what's gonna bring me joy? And I don't know about you, Marcus, but even the thought of like that stout and cigar or whatever it may mm. be, that mm-hmm. that powers me. If I'm having a tough day, I'm like, mm, but this weekend I'm gonna do X, yep. Y, and Z, right? And that makes exactly. it worth it. Mm-hmm. And so so let's jump into to what's the word and talk about some stuff we've been jo- and, and enjoying. How about that? Sure, let's do I it. I love it. This is such a positive episode. <laughs> um. So where are you, you know, we haven't chatted about in a while, where are you with um with Kingdom Hearts 3? I know you've been playing it, and we've talked about it, you know, so many times, but I, I almost feel like a, I want, like, an update. <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> the nice thing about, about this, this journey to Kingdom Hearts 3, right, <laughs> is that there's nine games. Um, I Oh, I might be wrong, but around nine or so games um, in between Kingdom Hearts 2 and... Kingdom Hearts 3. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, for listeners, if this is your first time listening to the show, a couple of weeks ago, I bought Kingdom Hearts, the story so far, which is a video game that features uh, characters from this J- uh, Japanese RPG role-playing game called Final Fantasy and Disney characters. Um, and so Kingdom Hearts 3, um, the final part of the trilogy, uh, has come out. I have refused to buy it or <laughs> get spoilers until I've played through the all the games because um, this was one of my favorite games uh, when I had a PS2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then PS3 came out and it came out with Kingdom Hearts 2 and now I've got the PS4 and I want to play Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, right now I'm on a game called Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, which is interesting because it's a prequel it's 10 years before the first Kingdom Hearts game. Huh. Um, did you ever play it? No. By any see, chance? I See, I played Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, like, on PlayStation 2 when mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. was younger. But I I haven't even gotten to, you know, this story so far. I'm kind of living vicariously through you, like, waiting <laughs> for you to finish it and be like, right. these are the four that you really need to play. Because, like... Last episode, you talked about that. I think it was last episode. You talked about the, uh, the like, turn-based card game. Oh, Chain of Memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that fucking blows. Like, I don't want to play a turn-based card game, Kingdom Hearts. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm waiting, and I have the benefit mm-hmm. of doing that through yeah. your pain. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, it's no problem. But I have not, I have not played Birth by Sleep. It's... So Birth by Sleep, um, this this story is, it's definitely a game, like, if you, you have to have played Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. Okay. It's not, it's not a game that you want to play, like, if you're like, I should play this in chronological order. If you play Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, you're not going to know what's happening. It's kind of like watching Infinity War without seeing any other Marvel movie. Like, we're not going to stop and explain things for you. You should just already know. Right. Um, <clears throat> and Birth by Sleep is no different. 
Um, it takes place ten years before. We are seeing like here's how uh, it hasn't gotten a, it hasn't really connected per se just yet um, to the overall story. Okay, but but you're seeing like early like early on like here's why the worlds are the way they are in Kingdom Hearts One. Okay. Like, here's why they're separated. Here's, um, here's like kind of the lore behind the Keyblade and why some people seem to really know a lot about it and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it definitely is a much darker story. Um, you play as there's three people and you have to play through all three to get the full story. Okay. So there's Aqua. Who is this? Uh, she is a Keyblade Master, um, and she is uh, kind of like a she's a mage type, um, but she is the only one out of her little trio that has become a Keyblade Master. Okay, so she kind of feels the weight of of that pressure. Then there's Tara, and Tara uh, struggles with the darkness inside of him. Okay, and so they're like, "You're not." allowed to be a keyblade master until you learn to control it it's very it's very jedi like okay um you find out um and then you have this character named ven or ventus who um you see him at the very beginning of in a cutscene, and he's brought to this island which you recognize as destiny island where okay. the main characters from the from the main series are right and he hears this and he's like near death like he's brought like he's very clearly much brought there so that he can be left to die. Oh. And then something happens. He connects with this mysterious voice that's like, "Oh, your heart is broken. Like, I'll help you." And you they don't explicitly say it, but for those of us who have played the game, you can tell it's Sora that actually helps him. So you have this auto, so you already have this connection as far as who this kid is because oh that was another thing, the kid uh, is similar and and audience sorry this is gonna get real nerdy real fast, um, the kid rec, um, resembles Roxas from Kingdom Hearts two, oh. who is for those of you long story short Roxas is like a doppelganger of the main character. There's more to it, but that's like the basics that you need to know. <laughs> um, but he he's he looks exactly like him. So there's kind of this like, you know, you're already kind of getting the sense of this is why Roxas looks the way that he does. Oh. Um, it's because Sora's heart is tied with uh this kid, this kid Ventus from ten years before. Huh. Now where now how all this like ties into the main series? I have no idea, right? But I am super excited to uh, to find out. Birth by Sleep, um, the battle, the uh, uh, the battle uh, commands or whatever. Um, I forget the the terminology, but um, it's not it's not like the regular Kingdom Hearts series. Mm-hmm. It's reminds you more of a Final Fantasy game. Okay, but I like that. Yeah. That's playing on their strengths. Yes. Um, which I think is, you know, foolish of them not to do that all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But, that I mean, that sounds interesting. It sounds like a good game both narratively and, uh, you know, gameplay-wise. Um, like mechanics. It, it really is. 
It really, it really, really is. Um, I would definitely, you know, when, you know, and, I, and hell, I'll even let you borrow mine. Um, oh, <laughs> my copies so of So generous. Uh, right? Um, <clears throat> like, definitely, you do not, you can skip Chain of Memories. Like, I will tell you what happens in Chain of Memories. But Birth by Sleep, I'm only on Aqua Story. And it's it's fun. It is a lot of fun. I cannot wait to play through the other characters because they intersect occasionally. Mm-hmm. But you don't obviously like you're, it's very clear. You don't have the full story. You got to play through, you know, Tara's story to figure out, like, why is he teaming up with Maleficent? You got to go through Ventus's story. Why does he run away in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how how is this all connecting with the big bad? Right. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to um to to play through the game. Yeah. But see, this is touching on something that just is kind of always on my mind, and it's not necessarily you know like uh, in line exactly with like what we're talking about. But I want to touch on it briefly. Hmm. I am so interested in um, stories that exist in in multiple dimensions, mm-hmm. um, and like. Uh, some of you may know that are, are listening, uh, and Marcus, you know that like I'm, I and I've made mention to it that currently I'm I'm kind of creating like a theater company here in, in Philadelphia mm-hmm. with the help of some great collaborators, um, Ben Smallen and Madison Klaus, and a whole ensemble of people, and um, we just had our first workshop the other day, and we're trying to make immersive theater like live performance, right? And so we've been studying a lot of different ways to tell a story. And what I think is interesting about what you're bringing up in Kingdom Hearts and certainly about what I'm interested in in most video games, surprisingly, is that mm-hmm. um, is that feeling of being immersed, right? In feeling mm-hmm. like there's so much to actively do and participate in, but there's also mm-hmm. so much to learn. There's so much to explore. There's so much to see. Um, there's so much to like participate in like passively kind of as you watch things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that interests me just, just so much, um, in a way that I, I haven't really expressed before, like on, mm-hmm. on the show. So I wanted, I wanted to like open it up that I like, and I just keep searching for it. You know, mm-hmm. like in everything, in in books, you know, like I, I feel like I, I lean towards like fantasy books or, or even fantasy um, and like role playing games for video games because mm-hmm. there's more to tap into. You know what I mean? Um, right. There's like just more depth inherently. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it is that expectation of everything kind of being thought out already like in a video game like kingdom hearts it's there's so much mythology there's so much lore and so everything just kind of interconnects and and starts to lean on each other and as soon as you know you reveal one thing it's like oh there's an entire rabbit hole that i can fall down (laughs) Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and i think what we're seeing more and more in video games and movies and stories in general is that we're so much more interested in how the character um, navigates the world yeah. around them um, and how we can navigate the world through that character. I, I, I love that, and I think you're absolutely right. And I feel like nowadays we are rejecting games that don't do that. 
um, you look at games like Anthem, right? Mm. That just came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anthem has gotten like ripped to shreds. I I watched a review um, the other day that was just talking about how the lack of story, yeah, um, the lack of that whole, you know, like there, like that that rabbit hole that you're looking for. That rabbit hole is so shallow that. There's nothing, there's there's no, you just wasted $60. $60 and like two hours of someone's time. Well, and it's so interesting because I actually also, this is so funny. Um, I mm. listen to a podcast called Waypoint Radio and it's mm. these guys that all have different kind of gaming backgrounds. But usually they, they buy a game, they play it, and then they talk about it just in depth. And, and some of them are more... Um, you know, like into graphics or some of them are more into the mechanics, some are more into story and they talk, they just, you know, hash it out. And they, they Mm -hmm. were talking about Anthem as well. And it was interesting because what they all said was that they were like, we were so intrigued by like the beautiful visuals and the like really hearty and fulfilling mechanics of the game. Like, Mm -hmm. um, for listeners who don't know, it's, it's been, I mean, it's been talked about for years now. Um, yeah. You, you know, the basic kind of idea is that you are a, like a mercenary and you're on this, you know, foreign planet and there's a bunch of st- like different races and, and all sorts of, you know, different storylines kind of potentially happening all over the planet. Um, but you get to use these um, big like exosuits, kind of like an Iron Man suit or something similar, mm-hmm. to like fly around, and they have different abilities and different builds. And so, like, you can be a big one, kind of like a la the Hulkbuster, to you know continue that um, <laughs> uh, you know analogy. Or you can do like little ones, uh, you know, that that move maybe way quicker but have less firepower, like say the Wasp suit, a la Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, and these guys, you know, that were talking on the, the the podcast were saying, like, it it kept bringing me back because, like, I, I kept being like, surely it's not that bad. Like, it is really fulfilling to fly through the air and then dive under the water in my exosuit. Mm-hmm. But the lack of story and narrative, and they were actually, like, the promise of narrative. Because there are, like, there's, like, a lexicon of of stuff that you can look through, right? Yeah. Um in the game that you can go to and just like start reading. But they were like, there's so much that they put into building this world and then not executing it Mm -hmm. that it just fell flat. Like, I'm like, I don't give a shit about reading it because like, (laughs) just write a book. Don't make it a video game. Right. Exactly. Um, so I, I feel like you're totally right. Like we are rejecting the idea of, okay, so you have an idea. Awesome. Now you have to, execute it and execute Mm -hmm. it in a way that that really does surround me and immerse me Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. positive and negative you know (laughs) because it puts a lot of pressure on the artist to be perfect and but i don't think that that's what people are looking for right i just think that we're looking for something original and Mm -hmm. something that we can feel like we're escaping into and feel a part of in a different way. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. um, And I think that's what, you know, since we mentioned it, that's what Marvel has done so well. Um, I mean, just to to the buildup, right? Of like, it all started with one movie and now Mm -hmm. we're 20 in. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 10 years later and it's all building to this culmination of, of end game. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, switching gears into that, like, I feel like people are looking around and they're like, wait, I, I'm not ready. Like, I haven't seen all of them. I haven't been watching, <laughs> you know, like all. Of, and I'm like, you you really should start over because it is such an awesome feeling when that trailer came out. Yeah. Um, To see it start with mm-hmm. Tony reflecting. Mm-hmm. And being like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, like, feels like a thousand years ago that I, I put on, you know, I escaped that cave and became Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get to mm-hmm. see, like, the Avengers, you know, like, Thor, his beginnings, and Cap's yep. beginnings, and see them really just amp up into something that is going to be so much bigger than mm-hmm. just one movie. It's, I mean, you know, I, I, and I've said this on Popcorn Prattle a number of times, but, you know, regardless on whether or not how you feel about superhero movies, uh-huh. which, I mean, I could go all day about the difference between a, a comic book movie and a superhero movie. Right, right, right. You know, I, I think it's comic book movies. I think that's what people are, you know, that's what people are frustrated about. Um, but the thing is, You've got to give Marvel respect for what they've accomplished with the MCU. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, this is, you know, this is, to me, this is the equivalent of, you know, you know, you, you read, like, some of these great novels, this, these great works of art, you know, something along the lines of, like, almost like Harry Potter, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where Harry Potter, <clears throat> it had such a, it had such a following that when you got to that last book, you know, you were right there with Harry. You had grown. If you had read, if you started reading Harry Potter when, when you were around the same age as him, mm-hmm. when, you, when you got to that last book, you were the same age as Harry. And you were ready to go into this war with him. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, with Endgame, if you started from the very beginning, you started from Iron Man and you've gotten all the way up to Endgame, mm-hmm. you are right there. You are invested in this movie. And that's incredible. That's something that, as a creator, that is something that is incredibly hard to do. Yeah. To get people to, you know, tell them, like, hey, you got to keep up with all these things if you want to enjoy this big thing. People ain't got that kind of money. Right. I mean, you're you're dropping. I mean, you're basically saying you want people to drop, uh, you know, $12 each of these movies. You have three movies a year. Um, help me out, Mitchell. What's the yeah, math? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you probably, you know, for every, if you saw every movie in theaters, uh, I mean, over the past 10 years, you probably spent somewhere towards, you know, 275 to $300. Um, mm-hmm. that I mean, that's fucking crazy. That's ludicrous. Yeah. Um, but but also like somehow it's also not like you, uh, some part of me makes me think like you got to put in the work to get the payoff, right? Yeah. Like yeah, there are some things that are too big in this world <coughs> to be able to. My poor baby, my poor coughing baby. Um. <laughs> There are some things in this world that are too big to, you know, condense into one movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that's the whole thing with movies. Like, we got into them because they're kind of instant payoff, right? 
like mm-hmm. adaptations of novels or plays or things like that that you know were way too long that we condensed into right. two two and a half hour experiences. Um, mm-hmm. You know what you're getting with these comic movies is a <clears throat> hundred years of comic book history potentially. Mm. Mm-hmm. And references and, and all sorts of, you know, world building and crafting and, you know, things like that. I mean, that's why comic book fans are so hard on the movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out. Hey, Dave. Um, my uncle, my overly critical uncle. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he has a right to be, right? Like, he's yeah. invested way more than $300 into, you know, learning these stories and really appreciating them. And... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, I'm not I'm not expecting everybody in their world to be able to you know drop three hundred dollars or buy all these movies on DVD and stuff like that, and you know spend the money if you don't have it. But also, like, then you can't go to the movie theater and expect to watch Endgame and have yourself brought up to speed in the first ten minutes. Like, right? It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and some part of that is is okay, I think. I don't know how you feel about it. You mean as far as like a newcomer coming into? Yeah. Like if your first movie is Endgame? Yeah, like because, uh, you know, like my girlfriend, for example, Crystal, she's she's seen some of them, right? She's like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I saw the first Iron Man when it came out. Like I saw the first uh, the first Thor or she's like, oh, I saw Spider-Man Homecoming. Like she's seen movies. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, I saw Black Panther. I thought it was really good, right? But like mm-hmm. th- that kind of overarching like MCU idea of like, oh, and this leads into this, and this post credit scene leads into when we start like really getting into it and theorizing. She right. she has no idea. She's like the Infinity Stones, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know the Tesseract from the original Avengers, and she's like, oh okay, I mean okay, I guess. Right, like right. she doesn't have that, and I'm like, okay, we got to get her up to speed. Like, we got to get her to watch these. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of daunting to be like, how many movies do I have to watch to watch just one? It's, I mean, that's that's very that's very true. There's pros and cons. There's ups and downs. You know. Yeah, but to me, it's like, I mean, it's like anything. It's like any sort of any sort of sequel. It's why I am very hesitant to play a video game. That might have a rich backstory, mm. you know, for like, for instance, going back to Kingdom Hearts three, I, the reason why I'm not playing Kingdom Hearts three is because there, there is a lot of lore building that they've done. Right. And according to all my friends, they're like, oh yeah, there's several references to these other games in this, in this one particular game that if you don't play it, um, you're going to miss out. And that, and that's not to say you won't enjoy the experience, right? Because when I played Kingdom Hearts two, I had never, I didn't finish Chain of Memories, right, right. But then I was kind of relegated to, uh, of like a in the intro, they did like a short, like previously on Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Um, I, that was like some video game thing on YouTube that I saw that said that, and it's true. It shows you like here's basically what happens in Chain of Memories, but they don't tell me any plot points they don't explain anything they just it's just kind of like you either played it and you understand what you just saw or you didn't and you are kind of now confused right and wondering like why am i spending the first 30 minutes of this game with this character named roxas like how is he related 
now that I've played all the games, like in order, and then I play Kingdom Hearts two. Mm-hmm. Mitchell, do you know how much of a of a eureka moment I had? I was like, oh, oh <laughs> that's why he can use two keyblades, and it and it just made that experience so much better. Right. So so for me, like I don't ever discourage people from seeing, you know, the Avengers movies. But like my dad, for instance, like I would never invite my dad to see Endgame, because I like the like every time he tries to ask me if like he's like oh you want to go see this movie I'm like did you see this movie yet he's like no I'm like well then we're not gonna go see it because I'm gonna spend the most of the time having to explain everything to you right because like yeah you can probably watch it and enjoy it and maybe you come out saying like oh that was a pretty good movie but is it a pretty good movie because you don't know all the information mm-hmm. or was it just a pretty good movie. Right, and I I think that there is a you know big problem with our our world and and the way that we um, try to view things as we like you know get towards um, just like immediate satisfaction, right? Like mm-hmm. that that sense mm-hmm. of immediacy that we have now, I think comes across in so many different ways throughout our our culture culture and certainly the way we consume media, right? Like we're like, well, why can't it just be given to me? Um, mm. Why can't there be like just a twenty minute catch up? And, right. like, I guess there could be, right? But you didn't earn it in the same way that the people that went to see every movie earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I guess, what it really comes down to is is whether you think it's worth it or not. Like, whether that eureka moment of, like, oh, my God, I see everything clearly is worth it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and if the payoff is good enough and for me personally you know lover of these like rich deep and compelling stories it's worth it to me yeah. Um, and you know it, potentially it also you have to be comfortable with not having all the answers immediately like mm-hmm. you have to you know in your experience with playing these games you have to be able to say huh I don't really know what's going on and that's frustrating but I'm gonna keep playing. I'm gonna keep investigating. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna go back and find what I missed, mm-hmm. and see if I can create the whole picture. Um, because it, that's just you know the other way of of getting brought up to speed is just putting in the time, putting in the effort. Right. And it's kind of like what you said at the at the top of the show. Like, no, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be mm-hmm. handed to <laughs> you on a platter. Right. But. Hopefully, your curiosity, your mm-hmm. interest in whatever that it may be, is you know big enough, is expansive enough to compel you to investigate, mm-hmm. um, and to get all of the information. And sometimes, you know, that's that's the best part. It's like completing a puzzle that you've worked really hard on. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth it. Yeah, almost definitely. That is not to say that you can't go and see, you know, a uh, uh, an M- MCU movie um, mm-hmm. and enjoy it, just like you're saying. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. There have been tons of people uh, that I've been talking to, at least, uh, that went to see Captain Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's these big ticket movies. I knew a ton of people that got on board with the MCU when Black Panther came out. Because mm-hmm. people were like, this is not just a good like superhero movie. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. And I feel like, you know, Captain Marvel had a ton of uh, excitement and build up behind it. 
that mm-hmm. a ton of people that normally maybe wouldn't have gone to see it went to see it. Yep. And it's really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope mm-hmm. that those movies, you know, serve as kind of the the instigators for, oh, this is so cool. There's so much that I enjoyed in that movie and there's so much that I missed. So I know yeah. I just need to go back and I can find more. Um, it's a, like a gate. Uh, it's a gateway movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way of putting the, it. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, you guys know me, especially, especially today. Can I just say it's a three sixteen day stone cold, Steve Austin, three sixteen says, I just whooped your ass. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like with, uh, watching raw, right? Yeah. Watching SmackDown. You, you might not have any idea like about professional wrestling, but you might watch, but the point of those shows is for you to buy the pay-per-view. Right, right. So you watch one of those episodes, and that is, you know, it's kind of the same business format. This is a gateway show. This is to get you, this is to hopefully hook people with free content so that you'll pay more for the bigger show. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that, to me, that's what... That's that's what Marvel's trying to do. They're like, hey, you know, like, hey, here's Black Panther. You know, here's Captain Marvel. Here's Ant-Man. You know, oh, did you like that movie? Oh, you should watch this movie. That's kind of similar. You know, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're watching all the movies. And then they're like, oh, hey, here's, you, you remember Black Panther, Miss, Miss Marvel, and Captain Marvel, and Ant-Man? Guess what? They're all going to be in this movie called Endgame. Hey, why don't you go check out Endgame? You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's not a mistake that after Black Panther came out, the biggest fight scene in Infinity War was in Wakanda, and the person who's supposed to go toe to toe with Thanos in Endgame is going to be Captain Marvel. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you know, it's not a mistake. Well, and it's—I think it's smart marketing. And I—I I mean, I—I mm-hmm. I hear your point about like, uh, you know, it's not necessarily accessible to everyone. <coughs> mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's okay too. Like, it's—it's it's not purposefully, I guess, exclusionary. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like these ticket prices are, like, $60. Um, right. Or they're, they're trying to sell you, like, a bundle of all of the movies yet for, right. you know, like, an exorbitant <laughs> price. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the key is that th- there are these gateway movies and they're like, hey, you know, you can't afford it? Like, go borrow it from a friend. Look online, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can maybe uh, rent it for two bucks or whatever on, on YouTube or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever it may be. They kind of cycle mm-hmm. through Netflix, you know, like some of those things. Um, I think it really is a rich and complex world. And I'm excited by all of the, you know, people that are coming to this world and discovering, you know, the um, empowerment behind mm-hmm. uh, these, these superheroes and these comic book heroes. Because... I know it means a lot to you, and it means a lot to me, and it means a lot to a lot of people all over the world, you know, that we've mm-hmm. invested time in these comic books and, and these characters, and to see them on the big screen is really wonderful. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for, for Endgame, and the trailer is certainly just, like, jazzed the hell out of me. I have so oh many gosh. theories. Um and I'm hoping that um, because next I'm actually going to see Captain Marvel tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that next episode we can have Tom back on um, to talk Ooh. to talk and and st- take a step into the cat pod and do 
you know, like all of our theorizing for what might happen. Talk about Captain Marvel a little bit in depth. I know you're going to on Prattle, Marcus. Um, but like really jump into it. But oh yeah. That being said, I know you've seen Captain Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. and you had some some interesting thoughts about it. I mean, I I'm excited from the person who hasn't seen it yet. Right. Right. That, like checking today before you know in our notes it's sitting at 600 million dollars one week out that's incredible which is incredible i mean for a the first you know big female led comic book movie mhm i'm pretty jazzed about it yeah um pretty sure it, it earned more than black panther did in its first weekend that's crazy to me mhm yeah I think it beat Black Panther. That's insane. And 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 I mean it's and it's rightfully so. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like again, I feel like it's a win. And I thought about this going into it. I was like this movie has to be a success. Yeah, I went into it with the same mindset as Black Panther. If this movie isn't a success, then the powers that be are going to think twice about ever having a female-led comic book movie. Right, right. You know, it's like, you know, it's the same thing with, like, uh, Wonder Woman. Same thing with Black Panther. If those movies have been failures, then Hollywood would just be like, well, see, we told you. Right, right. There's no money in this. Right. There's no, there, no one's going to buy this. But the fact that they do so well... I think speaks volumes, and I think that that is a win, regardless on what I'm about to say next about Captain Marvel. <laughs> Fair now, now I now I will say this: Did I enjoy Captain Marvel? Absolutely. And I'm not, and I'm not, and and just just for you know, just so you don't skip ahead. There are no spoilers. Um, I really did enjoy Captain Marvel. Um. I loved, I really enjoyed the story. Um, I thought that it was very smart of them to not necessarily have a lot of, well, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of nods to, you know, setting up Endgame. I thought that was very smart on their part, that this was, this was a, this was very much a standalone movie. Mm. It did have connective tissue to the larger MCU, but as I, you know, tell many people, um, <clears throat> Stephen, um, you kind of have to have that when you have a movie that's a part of a larger universe. Right. That connective tissue has to be there because if you don't have it there, people are going to get mad, which is why people complain about the Netflix shows. Right, right. Now, having said that, I wish that the character of Carol Danvers was stronger. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, and the whole time, and, and don't, and please, please don't get me wrong, okay? I mean, there are many different types of people all over the world, but this is just my opinion. I felt like Carol Danvers was a little flat. I, there was nothing interesting about her. Um mm. She kind of felt like this unstoppable female character instead of just being a character who happened to be female who was a total badass. Mm. You know, I felt like that was captured perfectly in a movie like Wonder Woman. And I hate to compare the two, but, you know, as I've said before, hey, if there was 
you know, when uh, if Black Lightning was a movie, guess what? Black Lightning would be compared to Black Panther. Right. It's just the way that's just the way life right. is. Um, and especially since, you know, Black Panther, that's that's kind of like the crown jewel as far as black superheroes right now. Right. Right now, for me, Wonder Woman is the crown jewel for female superheroes. That's the gold standard. Did you Do that. just admit that a DC movie had a, had a stronger character than a Marvel movie? I just want to get that straight. Yes. I will I will be the first one. I've always... Well, when, well hold on one second. I've always thought that. <laughs> I've always thought that DC had stronger characters. They just don't... The movies just don't make them strong. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, okay, okay. Com- now, the comics... Oh, please. Are you kidding me? Comics all day, every day. DC wipes the floor with Marvel comics. I just wanted um, to get that on record. Her. Yeah, yeah. Get it on okay, record. Okay. So Dave, so Dave can stop bitching. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh too hard. Um, but um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got Wonder Woman over here, right? Right. Wonder Woman is this uh, wonderfully, she's badass. Yes, she's a woman, but she she does not recognize, because she was born in a society of women, she doesn't necessarily like, you know, what's the, what's the word I'm trying to say? She doesn't see she doesn't, why, like, that's a big deal. Right. She's kind of oblivious or ignorant to the fact that there is, like, sexism and misogyny in the world. Which is that's it. almost, like, it's really refreshing to see in a character. Because mm-hmm. so often, like, and I think, I mean, I, I have to see Captain Marvel, but so often we cloud women characters on screen with like holding the weight of the world around them and like seeing them try really hard to buck against it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that they don't actually just buck against it you know what i mean um whereas like that's what is so like hilariously um you know present in wonder woman because she has no idea that mm-hmm. she's bucking against it. She's just like, I'm super fucking strong and, like, I can fly and shit. Like, what, you guys can't? Right. Women don't, like, rule everything? That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like that's what you're saying if I'm not, you know, misconstruing your words. No, not no, no, not at all. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so when you, when you watch Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. you ultimately end up seeing the world through her eyes. Right, 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 right. You know? And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing is that you you made me just really enjoy the story and the fact that it's the strong, powerful, female driven, you know, this piece that, you know, she really like, yeah, yeah, there's like, uh, you know, Chris Pine in it. Um, (laughs) But but I mean, ultimately, like, I felt like he he really is the damsel in distress in the movie. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, <clears throat> and I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with him being the damsel of distress. I'm like, please, please go out into the no man's land scene. Um, and that was, and that's the biggest thing is that in the no, in, in Wonder Woman, you have that powerful no man's land scene where I heard so many women talk about how beautiful that moment was. Right. And I remember being as a guy watching that, watching that scene and kind of tearing up a little bit because I was like, man, this is, this is such a powerful image, Yeah, you know, 
of, you know, here's this woman who's just like, I want, I'm going to do what is right. Like, regardless of whatever you tell me, you know, regardless of whatever social stigmas you want to put them in, like, oh, you're a woman, you shouldn't go out there, you're just going to get yourself killed. She's like, no, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to help people because you're too afraid to. Right. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to rise above what you're telling me. And I'm going to go beyond plus ultra, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to go beyond plus well, ultra. I love it's it. It's also be about like <laughs> stepping into, you know, like the, the man's world, like the man's war. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, because in Wonder Woman, especially there is that big, like, this is not her war. This isn't her fight, but it's yeah. become her fight because they couldn't contain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. like, here's another really powerful woman or the first of her you know kind really that we get to see in the world basically Mm -hmm. being like i'm gonna come in and clean up your mess now like women have been doing for centuries and Mm -hmm. i think it's a really powerful you know version of that story because it it shows that in like a mythical kind of way Mm -hmm. um that's really powerful isn't part of our society so we can look on it and see with those fresh eyes you know through wonder woman like you're saying into a Mm -hmm. world where she doesn't she doesn't know she wasn't raised with that sexism and that misogyny and that uh the the patriarchy being a thing Mm -hmm. and so when Mm -hmm. she sees it it's so much harsher yeah right yes and it's so much more apparent to her Mm -hmm. and you feel so bad for her when she does finally realize it when she does finally see what people were trying to tell her and it's like no 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 you don't have to lose that like that's you you are what the you're you're seeing the world how it should be right not how it is right and it, and it's kind of the same you know it's kind of the same thing in, in black panther you know when they're going when they're in the quinjet and they're going into wakanda the first time uh-huh. and you just see this perfect black utopia of the African music and the futuristic design of everything. And it's prosperous and people are happy. Right. And, and there's no, there's no hate. There's no like, well, you're black, so you can't do this. It's just, here is a black king who's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And there's nothing you can tell, you know, there's nothing you can do about it because I have the most technologically advanced country in the world. Okay. <laughs> you can't tell me shit. Right. Um, and and I was and I love that about Black Panther, and I and and I'll be interested to see. You've got to tell me what you you know what you come out of Captain Marvel with. I didn't get that, mm. you know. I didn't, and I don't know if it's just like it was just a different take or what. But I felt like I don't know. Like I felt like I couldn't connect with Captain Marvel like I could with Wonder Woman, like I could with uh, Black Panther. Um, there was one, there's one moment in particular, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Cause I want to see if you find, if I want to, I want to see if you identify it too. Right. But there's a moment in the movie that I was like, this is the best part of this movie. And I felt like you could have built the movie around just this one relationship. Huh. And it's so, it's so powerful. It's so moving. And it's only in there for, I think, <clears throat> I think maybe like five or so minutes. And I was like, I just wish that this was, was longer. And I said, and I wish that they had built off of this to maybe like, this is why she decides like, you know, I'm going to go do this. Hmm. Um, 
But I just didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get that moment. And so for me, this is mid-tier Marvel. You know, this is in the middle with Doctor Strange, um, probably first Iron Man. Huh. Yeah, this is not top tier. This is not anywhere close to me for Winter Soldier, Black Panther, uh, Civil War, even. Interesting. I think, yeah, yeah I mean, I know we could keep going, but... I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. I mean, I, I think that we... I think next episode we'll have to take a step into Cat Pod and really start to dissect um I love it. what's been going on and what's going to go on, hopefully. Like what we're what we're thinking might happen. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then process all of the information together because there's just a lot there's just a lot of moving pieces right now and I wonder if um you know, it I'll have to see it of course, but if Captain Marvel isn't like the serve up that will get us like the actual hit later if that makes any sense um like i feel like those movies that you're talking about that are mid-tier that like do well but you know they they don't really have that like missing uh component Mm -hmm. the like uh moment has come later like dr strange for instance because you mentioned it was kind of like a setup so that in Infinity War, we could see, like, him in his element and po- oh, yeah. and potentially, you know, like, him see those millions of different variations and this is the one we win, right? And see him, like, mm-hmm. take that leadership role and maybe even what's going to happen in Endgame. Like, who knows? But, you know, that, that, kind, that kind of moment. I wonder if mm-hmm. because... Carol Danvers is going to be such a huge part of Endgame, presumably, mm-hmm. that this is just, it, it had to be a little bit more mid-tier setup versus, like, the the hit-the-home-run that, that Black Panther was in, in such a complete way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm articula- articulating that thoroughly enough, but that... I think you... I think you are. I I would be I would be interested to see the Carol Danvers character in Endgame. Yeah. Because you're right. Because you're right. Doctor Strange is a much more interesting character in Infinity War. Right. Than he is in his own movie. Right. And and Iron Man certainly, you know, gets to, like, we don't get Civil War without the first Iron Man. True. So, like, th- there's there has to be build-up in that same way. And I think that Marvel is pretty good at, like you're saying, you, you enjoyed it still. It was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're not like, oh, this definitely wasn't like top tier, maybe that's so that we can get another top tier movie, right? Like there has mm-hmm. to be a stepping mm-hmm. stone somewhere. Um, you're right, right. Which is, you know, really encouraging. And, mm-hmm. um, just briefly, I wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, um, I think we're going to get another home run movie potentially, out of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise because of the news that James Gunn was just rehired to direct um, Guardians 3 again after the firing several months ago. I have a theory. I want to hear your theory because I do too, and I wonder if they're the same. I think that his rehiring has something to do with the Avengers franchise. How so? I... I think I have a theory 
that there might be there might have been something in the end game film that's like it's a big idea that was James Gunn's. Oh. And James Gunn was like, I don't want to do this, but you better bring me back or don't use my material in Endgame. Oh. Which would have set them back because I watched Infinity War a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've I've gotten it down to watching it once a month now. Um, and I was I was watching it and I did not realize that James Gunn wrote part of the screenplay with the Russos. Yeah. So it's safe to assume James Gunn is, I mean, he's, he's one of their top tier directors, you know, it's, it's definitely the Russos and like either right below them or probably right next to them is James Gunn. And you know that James Gunn, you know that he's kind of the head of their cosmic world, right? you know, like, um, Watiti, he's, I mean, he did Thor Ragnarok, but you gotta remember, Thor Ragnarok pulls a lot of inspiration from James Gunn's uh, interpretation of outer space in the MCU. Right, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things that we've built that did so well, Mm -hmm. um, that that Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily expected to. That's an interesting thought. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I, What's your theory? I certainly think it plays a role in in mm-hmm. it. Um, I also just wouldn't be surprised if it was because they were closing on the Fox merger mm-hmm. um, back when they fired him. Mm-hmm. And now that they're, like, actually closing on it, I think this week, like, it's on, like, Tuesday. Right. Um, that, that they rehired him. Like, I think that mm-hmm. they, they were like, oh, well, let's get rid of him so that, like, you know, things look okay <laughs> for, like, everybody to sign the contracts and smile. Uh-huh. And now it's like, okay, but, like, Infinity War, or Endgame is coming out, and, uh, you know, like, this deal is closing, and everything's fine, and, like, it's too late to back out now, and uh-huh. he's rehired. <laughs> because the, the huge upset with him was that, right, he had, like, these terrible tweets from, like, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, um, mm-hmm. that said really, like, un-PC things. And You're right. I think in the past couple of months, after his firing, it's been found out that, like, a ton of people that have worked for Disney and Marvel and huge companies out in the world... And comedians Mm -hmm. and, you know, show hosts and all sorts of things have said shitty stuff or or stuff Mm. that we would find, you know, shitty and not PC now 10 and 15 years ago. But Mm -hmm. that's because it was 2004 (laughs) and we had to learn, Mm -hmm. right? And like, you know, people like James Gunn, people like Kevin Hart, um... That, you know, have gotten a lot of flack and gotten removed from positions and stuff over over these tweets. Um, you know, I'm not saying that their tweets were right in any way. Right. Um, I'm not condoning them. But I also think that, like, they are first and foremost comedians. Mm-hmm. And if you said, you know, something uh, like a... a, a 
like what was it that James Gunn got in trouble for? It was like a pedophilia joke, right? Yeah, it was like um, it was like something along the lines of like uh, like something with South Park or something. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, like that kind of humor was really, really taking off in that time. Right. Right. And like even a few years after, like Book of Mormon came out in like 2012. Mm. Which was basically like, I mean, they have an entire song called Fuck You God. And like, you know, mm. right? Like, so, I don't know. I just, there it has to be at some point we say like, that's not cool now. But, you know, like, you're still allowed to make Guardians of the Galaxy 3. <laughs> right? Mm. Like, there has to be some line where we draw like, the, the witch hunt to a close. Because yeah. otherwise, like, just fire everybody. And only right. work with people that are, like, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Who you were in the past should not define who you are now. Now, unless you are... <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some people are not ashamed of their past. Some people are not repentant. Um, some people, you know, still feel a certain way about certain groups. Right. But um, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to just leave it at that. If we're going to ignore somebody saying uh, misogynistic things about women and put them in the Oval Office, I feel like we can forgive one tweet from one guy who very clearly doesn't feel the same way that he used to. Well, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm just... I'm just... I'm going to just leave that right there. No, and it, Cause... it really is. And it's it's like, you can tell, I think, the public eye is a really pretty discerning one, I think, mm-hmm. on, the, on the whole. We might make mm. fucked up judgments, like the one you're referring to, um, <laughs> right. and decisions, and put bad people in office, but um, we also, like, our bullshit detector is pretty good, I'd mm. say. Um, you can tell when someone's being truthful and when they're not. And, you know, James Gunn got fired and it was over, you know, some like uncouth pedophilia South Park bullshit. And Mm -hmm. what was his response? Do you remember? Because I looked it up and I can't remember what his response was. He basically tweeted and and replied to everyone and said, I'm refusing on the whole to comment um, I don't, uh, you know, understand or agree with the decision that Disney is making, um, mm-hmm. but I respect their right to make it. Mm. And that was it. Everyone, like, mm-hmm. got up in arms and was like, no, James Gunn, like, he's the heart of the Marvel Universe, like, in part, you know, him and <laughs> right. you know, John Favreau and uh, the Russo brothers, like, they built this and you have to let them finish it and this and that. And, like, one tweet is not worth you know, that much 15 years later. Uh, mm-hmm. And he he stayed silent. And I think that that was another huge contender, that he didn't mm. say, like, yeah, fuck you guys. Like, I'm never working for you guys ever again. Yada, 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 yada. Like, he, he said, okay, I don't agree, mm-hmm. but word. I respect it. Yeah. yeah. Which I think shows you that, like, he obviously 
you know, has changed. He apologized for his, uh, his tweet. He was like, I realize it wouldn't be funny now. I can totally see why people are upset about it. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's the thing to do. Acknowledge your mistakes and move on, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So I'm really glad to hear that he's back on board. And I am wouldn't be surprised if all three of those things that we mentioned played a really big part in it. But I'm glad he's back. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he's still uh, he's still going to do Suicide Squad. Right, 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 right. And yeah. didn't uh, Idris Elba just sign to, like, replace Will Smith? Yes, he did. As... I thought that was a much better choice. I think so, too. Um, Idris just... He he can play. He, he just never has to play himself. Will plays himself just inherently. Yeah, yeah. I think since like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, he's just been playing himself. Yeah. There's been a few times. Um, I don't know if you saw Concussion. Um, I saw that, and I thought that was his best work. Huh. Um, in Concussion, and he could tell like he lost himself in that character. Um, when he did Ali. I thought he lost himself in that character mm-hmm. when he when he know when he fully like invests himself into a character. It is awesome. Um, the third Men in Black movie, great. Right. Um, he was. I did not feel like he was playing a character of himself. I felt like he was Agent J. Right. Um, but when you when I watched Suicide Squad, uh, well, I saw like the first. 30 minutes before I got bored and turned away. <sighs> um, it, it's it's him. It's literally just Will Smith. It's just him yeah. being Will Smith, not being the character of Deadshot, whereas Idris Elba, I mean, that man can play villain or he can play good guy, and you've got this anti-hero. You know, that could lead a franchise and can be in other movies, but not take away from Batman. Right. Because if Will Smith was in a movie with whoever they choose to be Batman, guess who my attention is going to be? Will Smith. Right. Making a fucking fool of himself. Right. But Idris Elba, like, if he, if, like, when Batman takes him down, man, he is going to be great. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you saw um, Dark Tower, mm-hmm. um, but like I did not. See I it. was a huge fan of those books. Like I have literally it tattooed on my body. Um, yes, <laughs> but I went and saw that movie, and it was not what I wanted to be. What what I wanted it to be plot wise, um, yeah. but Idris's performance um, was incredible. Like it was revolutionary because wow. the 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 hero Roland is, yeah. you know, somehow like he's like a, a, he's a gunslinger. He's a good guy. He's ultimately fighting for like the betterment of the world, but he's not nice. Like he's not mm-hmm. necessarily kind or generous or giving. Mm-hmm. He's just <coughs> the good guy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that kind of complexity and depth of character is something that he can really explore and tap into with uh, with Deadshot. So I, I am really excited to see him him jump into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just as an honorable mention, before we move on to uh, our next segment, um, <laughs> for those people that are like, man, I haven't seen all the Marvel movies. I feel like I'm missing out. I just want something you know, cheap that I can get into. I don't have to spend a lot of money. I want to give you uh, the option 
Marcus, I know you shared this to your followers on Popcorn Prattle, which I thought was awesome. Um, DC Universe, the streaming service, is offering um, the first episode of each one of their original series right now um, for free. You can go watch the first episode and see what you're missing, what's on the exclusive before you jump in and buy. Um, and I think that's a really awesome you know, opportunity to check out those those really original awesome pieces that I've been enjoying so much. I'm so excited for everyone to just be like, "Oh, well let me let me give it a chance. Let me watch it real quick and then be like, "Oh my god, it's so good. I have to watch these." Um, and I just wanted to mention that to all the listeners that that wanted something like that or or haven't maybe found out. Absolutely. Um all right, moving right along into um, our moment in the safe space. Speaking of the idiot man in charge, um, <laughs> I mean our our I can't even say anything nice. Um, our president. There you go. You can't say anything nice. <laughs> don't say anything at all. Um, let's step into our more political segment. Um, Marcus, I know you did a bunch of research on this. Um, why don't you why don't you take the floor for um to catch us up to speed on on New Zealand? Yeah. Well, and this and this is what kind of brought up my my challenge of the week because uh you know, here we have an event that is very much inspired by someone seeking out um the negative in life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. someone who went out looking for a fight wanting to start something. And that's all that these these people, these cowards, that's all that they do, mm-hmm. you know, is try and instigate a fight, um, not just fear. Right. Um, because this has, been, this has been identified as a terrorist attack. <clears throat> but, um, but they are also trying to instigate, like, come at me, like, show, show the world, like, who you, quote, unquote, really are. Right. Um, so just to, just to, uh, just to recap, and this comes from the, uh, the BBC, um, that's where I got this information from, from an article, um, but a a gunman identifying himself as an Australian live, uh, as an Australian live streamed the rampage at El Noor Mosque to Facebook. Um, he was espoused racist and anti-immigrant views. Now, the, the thing that... A lot of people did not know initially, and I didn't know this, was that this guy was actually live streaming it um, on Facebook, and people were sharing it, and it went viral. And I have got to say, guys, we have to stop this. We really do. We have got to stop glamorizing violence, okay? This is not, that was not something that should have been shared, you know? Like alert people, tell people like, "Hey, there's there is something happening going on right now. Can someone please alert the authorities?" Right. It is not an opportunity for you to go viral right. and be one of those, you know, twenty four k shared people. Um, but the police say um, a man in his twenties has been arrested and charged with murder. Uh, two other men and one woman were also detained. Uh, no names have been made to the public as of the article. Um, that might have changed as of the posting of this podcast. Uh, but firearms and explosives were recovered, um, says the police commissioner. The gunman live-streamed the attack from a head-mounted camera uh, and said he was a 28-year-old Australian called Brenton Tarrant. 
Um, oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, there's there's a name right there. Uh, apologies. This, Like I said, this literally came ripped from an article. Um, the footage showed him firing at men, women, and children from close range inside the Elnor Mosque. Um, Facebook, now, Facebook did try as quickly as they could to shut down the different live streams. Um, but in the time that it took them to shut it down, not only had it been shared several different times, but it lasted for 17 minutes. Jesus Christ. Okay. So that was 17 minutes of all of this being shown on the internet before ultimately was shut down. Um, so there's no telling how many different people got a chance to actually see it. Uh, the suspect who was charged appeared to have published a document online outlining his intentions as well as details about the plan for uh, the attack. He is due in court on Saturday. Uh, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, described the man as an extremist right-wing terrorist. Um, and that's what a number of different um, countries and authorities are calling this. They are calling it a terrorist attack. Um, and New Zealand Police Commissioner Bush confirmed that the man had not been known in advance to either New Zealand or Australian security services. Um, social media accounts in the name of Brenton Tarrant were used to post a lengthy racist document, which the author identified the mosques that were later attacked. The man says he's been planning an attack after visiting Europe in 2017 and being angered by events there. Um... The document is called Great Replacement, a phrase that originated in France has become a rallying cry for European anti-immigration extremists. Although New Zealand police said that they charged the man in his late 20s with murder, they did not identify the man. Um, again, his name was uh, earlier in the article. But Mitchell, here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I... Um, that I, 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 have to, I have to say this. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this could very easily we could very easily see something like this. And this isn't fear mongering. This is a warning. We could very easily see something like this. And we have seen stuff like this in our very own country. We see it constantly. We it. Mm -hmm. We've seen this. But the, and the thing is, is that look at look at what they're saying. This is a guy that had anti immigration sentiments. Mm -hmm. Now listen, okay. <clears throat> now you can. Now you. There are. There are always going to be tons of articles about MS thirteen, about the Bloods and the Crips, um, about the Latin Kings, about all sorts of different gangs that are horrible, that are scary, that are flooding our streets with drugs and doing this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. But we cannot say that an entire race is in league. With 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 thugs and gangsters. No, we just can't. We just can't do that kind of profiling. That's... And no matter what the the kind mm -hmm. of like you know articles or or things that are coming out in terms of what you're talking about, right? Like gangs or and and the certain amount of profiling that you know government agencies all over the planet do to say these mm -hmm. people have launched you know these people like these people have launched attacks in these uh, in the past. So we mm -hmm. have to take extra precaution. That's one thing. And, but we can't just continue down this path. Like it's a very, mm -hmm. very, very slippery slope is I guess mm -hmm. what the anger inside of me is trying to say. Um, mm -hmm. th there's being cautious and there's being just like, 
I don't even know. Like, fucking awful. Um, the more emotional I get, I find that I just, like, lose all articulation, so I'm sorry. Um, no, no. It's just that I don't know. I'm, I'm so reminded of, this is about to show my nerdiness, but I'm so reminded of that quote from the Fellowship of the Ring when Gandalf mm-hmm. tells Frodo, like, Frodo's like, oh, we should have just killed Gollum. Like, I wish Bilbo just would have killed him. And Gandalf says, don't be so quick to deal out death and judgment. You might not know, you know, everything that that person has been through. Um, mm-hmm. and, and who are you to be able to, you know, give them life or give them death? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's really where our world is at right now. Um, yeah. We are just so, so, so ready to deal out death and judgment. And it's, it's from a place of fear. Um, And and just in the same way that, uh, you know, death and judgment have been dealt out to us. We had, you know, like something all going back all the way to, you know, the early 2000s to 9-11. We have this terrible fear that something awful is going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there have been so many atrocities committed back against the Muslim community all over the world that we have paid back their death and judgment ten times over. Yeah. When when does it end? Somebody has to be the bigger person and say, this is enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts like what you're saying, seeking out love, seeking out compassion, seeking out communication. And And I'm sorry, but... You know, and 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 on, and on top of that, Mitchell, because you're absolutely right. You know, that we that this is this is exactly what we need to start seeking out, and we do have to finally say when when is enough going to be enough? But the thing is, is that you have these immigrants, right? They're being you're, they're being pushed from their homes. They're seeking asylum. They're seeking a better life. And what are you doing? You're killing them. Yeah. You are you are saying horrible things about them. You're calling them criminals. You're saying that they're you're saying that we have an invasion coming. <clears throat> but when <clears throat> but you do you know, but do you realize like what that does? What you are doing is you are pushing you are pushing these people to into the arms of these of the people that you're afraid of. Right. You know, I there's a there's a play um, that I've seen that I know your mom has seen, um, called disgraced. Yes, 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 yes. And, and, and you know, and, and for those of you who don't know, disgraced is about, um, this Muslim man who, you know, is kind of trying to find his place in, um, you know, in, in, in white society, essentially. Um, and like, how does he, how does he reconcile in this post nine eleven world, um, as a Muslim man, um, who doesn't really even practice, practice being Muslim. He doesn't practice Islam. Um, and he has this nephew who is a younger man and he's being called terrorist. He's being, he gets stopped and looked at and people, you know, they, they treat him like he's, like he's going, like he's going to have an attack right then and there. And he ultimately joins up with Muslim extremists because of that and when profiling. His, 
Mm-hmm. And when his brother asks him, like, why are you doing this? He's like, because I have no other choice. My friends won't talk to me anymore. He was like, they think I'm a criminal. He's like, these are the only people that will take me in. And I'm sorry, but do you, I mean, it, it's not even just Muslims. It's Latinos. It's blacks. You, it, you have, you, you have these groups. They will more than, they'll be more than happy to take these people in, but that's not where they need. That's not where they need to be. They need, they need to be showered with love and acceptance. You stop, stop giving, stop giving these people, these evil, evil people ammunition. Because guess what? You better believe that the little remnants of ISIS that are around, you think they're not going to show that picture? You think they're not going to show, like, they're killing you. They don't care. They're trying to lull you into a false sense of security. Right. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, now we do have terrorists. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you do that. Well, I was just going to say that. Like, you, you make people into what you, you tell them they're going to be, Right. Because mm-hmm. it's and you're completely right. It is those communities that you mentioned. It's also it's uh, it's women. It's uh, you know the LGBTQ community. It's Jews, right? The the people that have been marginalized and attacked um, for years. Eventually, they will attack back. There, there's only so much that you can tell you know Muslims that they are terrorists until they turn to it. There's only, you know, so much that you can stomp on somebody before they either play dead or stomp back. And it is. It really is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then, you know, of course, the other side feels vindicated. Well, why didn't you just take it? Right? It doesn't work that way. No. We need to pick our brothers and sisters up and, and identify the problem in ourselves because that's really where it lies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it never, I'm going to go ahead and say 90% of our problems with the world, personal, public, societally, mm-hmm. rarely have to actually do with others. Yeah. Mostly have to do with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. take a look internally listeners and world and let's see what we can admit and move forward with mm-hmm. oh exactly wow does that feel better oh so much better good <laughs> um i mean I, I, honorable mention to something else that i just wanted to mention i feel like i'm glad that we you know talked about new zealand that was the bulk of what i know we both wanted to talk about um, yeah, just yeah. to follow up for those listeners who listened last time and need an update. Um, so for the follow up for the Mueller report, right? It was um, it was presented presumably last week to some committee members. 
Um, the House actually voted overwhelmingly um, yesterday, Friday the 15th, I believe, um, in a bipartisan fashion to urge the Justice Department to publicly release the entirety of Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III's report into Russian interference in the 2016 election once completed. The move is an attempt to send a clear signal both to the American people and the Department of Justice that lawmakers expect to see the full account of Mueller's work, according to the Judiciary Committee uh, Committee. Committee's chairman, uh, Representative Gerald Nadler. Um, he's a Democrat from New York. But the final vote count, it, it wasn't just, you know, like super favorable or overwhelming. The final vote count was 420 members in favor with no one voting no. Mm -hmm. Four lawmakers voted present. So of 424 members... 420 voted in favor. Um, the resolution, you know, by itself cannot obviously force the attorney general to publish more the, of the report than he intends to. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why some report Republicans actually supporting it actually complained that the measure was like a total waste of time. Um, they didn't want to vote on it. They were like, obviously, you know, it comes down to someone else's decision. But mm -hmm. I think it's an incredible bipartisan show of... That thing that we were talking about last episode and the episode before is that we want truth, you know, and we want to hear it in its entirety and the public deserves to know. And yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens and and I'm um, encouraged to see our lawmakers, you know, finally agreeing on something. Absolutely. Um, just to end there on a positive note. Yeah. Um. Our next segment, uh, quickly moving on, into what was Kanye's corner is maybe now also getting a sticker <laughs> on top of it. Um, we haven't talked about Kanye in a while. We, we still yeah. definitely will. Um, but, I mean, more recently, we've just been talking about people that make music, people that stand out, people that we admire. And so mm -hmm. let's take, uh, you know, put a spotlight on our, our, our music mavericks for this week. Um, Marcus, what do you got for me? I know you had some stuff you wanted to talk about. You finally listened to Ariana Grande. I did. I listened to Ariana Grande, and I have got to say, it did indeed live up to the hype. Uh, thanks to you and Crystal uh, for recommending it. You're um, welcome. That is, um, that was, uh, it, I mean, it was a very strong uh, album. I... I mean, I've listened to Ariana Grande um, here and there over the years. <clears throat> Thank You, Next was the first album I listened to in its entirety, um, which is always, to me, is always a good sign. If I can listen to an album in its complete um, entirety. Because um, if I just, if I skip it, then I'm like, eh, maybe that's something that I don't need to waste my time Right, with. right. But um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, replay value-wise, for me personally... Um, there's only a couple of songs that I would listen to again. Okay. Um, but I mean, hey, they can't all be Kanye, right? They can't all be. Well, <laughs> it can't because Kanye. I feel like I can always listen to his entire album. But you know, there's a lot of artists where I'm like, uh, I just want to listen to like these couple of songs, right? And there's totally also validity in being like, you know, I'm only I only want to listen to the entire album a couple of times, or. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the mood to listen to the entire album, but it's still a good album as on its own. And I right. think that this was the first like 
Ariana Grande album that I really listened to as an album and not just as mm-hmm. like, oh, that song by Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. I was like, this mm-hmm. album is a piece of art. Like, it's a piece of good work. Yeah. Um, that was just really awesome. So I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. It definitely, um, it definitely made me, reminded me of, and um, and we talked about this before the show, but I, we, I, it reminded me of uh, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream album, mm. um, which which to me is a is a wonderful pop album. Um, you know, as far as like Ariana Grande goes, it it Ariana Grande to me feels um, a bit poppy, um, but not in like. Not like the typical sense is like a pop album because to me, to me, like Katy Perry's Teenage Dream, like that's a great pop album, but I love listening to the lyrics of those songs, right? And that's and that's what I loved about Thank You Next. It's like I love listening, um, I love listening to the lyrics of the songs, um, and really kind of like getting in depth as far as like, okay, what are you feeling right now? What are you, what are you trying to say in this song? Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend it to anybody. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. glad you got to listen to it. I would agree. And we talked about it before the show, too. But, like, it's also just, hmm. it, um, it, it kind of blended a bunch of styles. And yeah. It, it, yeah, it just had a little bit of something for everybody. I definitely agree that there were songs that I was like, hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but like I could also acknowledge like this is really good. It's just not for me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is the mark of a good artist. If you can be like, no, I understand that they're doing really, really well at what they set out to do. It's just not mm-hmm. like my cup of tea necessarily. Right. Um, but some of those songs I just felt really like, I don't know, enraptured by. I was like, wait, what the fuck? Who is this? Yeah. Hit your heart. Yeah, yeah, to turn it up. <laughs> Turn it up. Um, yeah, I um, I definitely, definitely can agree with that. Um, I, I mean, one one song from me. I got to give a special shout out for this one. Seven Rings might be my might be my jam for this it's year. It's so good. Um, it's easy to turn back to, and it's like it's easy on the ears too. It's not a. It's definitely. It's not a banger. Um, no. But it's but it's definitely one that like if you're like you know cruising down the street in your six four, uh, shout out to Easy E, um, <laughs> you you definitely um, you'll definitely like have that in the have that in the you know in your car and be like man this is a nice little three minute drive I'm about to go on. You're like I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. I'm like oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's like empowering in a really weird way. She's like she's yeah, like, she's like. I bought it. Thanks. I just got it. Like you like my hair, girl. Thanks. Like I, I, I mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It's just like, and also obviously not for us necessarily, right? Right. But like <laughs> I was just like, mm, respect. I love this. Like she, yeah, she yeah. does got it. She she can buy, buy it all she wants. Like she doesn't need any help. <laughs> I love that in a different way that it's kind of like understated, and mm-hmm. that it's like mm-hmm. these are a few of my favorite things essentially yeah like oh what is this and then you're like oh i know the the theater nerd in me i think that's really why i like it (laughs) the theater nerd in me is like like oh that's from uh, my favorite things yeah i mean (laughs) that's awesome it kind of makes you lean in and then you're surprised right which is i love that i love that um surprise factor 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of new stuff, there's a, a new song you, uh, uh, a New Year's Day song that you wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Audience, if you remember <coughs> from our New Year's episode, um, I said one of my favorite uh, new bands right now is New Year's Day, um, who has a concert in uh, in in May. I found. Oh, out. nice. I know, I know. So I gotta find, I gotta find myself a metalhead to go to the <laughs> go to the concert with, because um, that's definitely none of my friends at all. Um, but it, uh, they they've come out with a new song. I've been listening to them a lot lately. Um, my students really like like their sound, which is awesome. I love it. I love introducing them to new music. Um, but man, they've got this new song called "Shut Up" that I. It just, it's like, you know what, they're, they're like a happier version of Evanescence. Huh. Yeah, like I was listening to an Evanescence song um, this morning, actually, and I was like, man, you got to be in the mood for some Evanescence. You got to be like, I'm going to, I'm going through some things. Like I need to, I need to move my hair in front of my eye and listen to Evanescence. So you're telling me like, that's... you woke up and you listened to like, wake me up? Yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't wake up and uh, you don't go wake up in the morning and like wake me up, wake, wake me up, up inside. <laughs> I can't wake up <laughs> and like you know watch Jennifer Gardner uh, take down some dummies and Daredevil. Oh my um. god! <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Marcus. It's actually my it's yeah. my alarm every oh. morning. Oh, is it just it's just me? Okay, um, but I um, no, but New Year's Day, man. They uh, I. I was actually, um, I took a break from Evanescence and was making some breakfast and I was like, oh, my, my Spotify was like, oh, new New Year's Day song. Would you like to listen? I was like, of course. And I played it. Uh, it's called Shut Up. Man, I, I love, I love, uh, Ash, who is the lead, uh, singer uh-huh. for, uh, for New Year's Day. She has got the voice of a demonic angel, <laughs> and I I love it. I love it so much. I just basically what I'm saying is I just need to find a rocker chick. <laughs> if there's any rocker chicks that listen to this show, you're accepting submissions. Um, yeah, check backstage. I'll get you. check. Uh, you know all your like, local talent agencies for the <laughs> opportunity for a date, uh, a metalhead date with Marcus Sally. Right, we'll go. We'll go watch uh, New Year's Day and then talk about um, talk about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> this is actually the entire show today has actually just been a build up for for you to ask uh, for a date. Exactly, because you see, like Match dot com and Hinge are no longer working for but, me. So now I'm just gonna do podcasting platforms. No, right, I'm just gonna do podcasting platforms. That sounds good. This is really this is really why I wanted a network. Because then girls would see different aspects of me, and then they would be like, "Oh wow, he's so like he's got all these different sides." You him. know, he does three different podcasts. <laughs> one of them's a D and D one, and I've got to say, like, I love it because <laughs> that's the that's the one that wins the ladies over. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna it's say not, just disclaimer: not, we're totally making fun of ourselves and men in general. Right. <laughs> Please, um, someone out Please there is like, I'm, I'm really offended by their lady voices. Um, <laughs> we're not trying, especially, 
Especially the chain smoker one. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, oh, we're la- we're laughing. We're having a good time, man. We we, <laughs> we always it. do, and we're gonna keep having a good time, listeners. If you've been joining us thus far, we appreciate you staying with us. I know it's a lot. We covered everything from from Kingdom Hearts to global warming to the Mueller report to Ariana Grande to New Zealand <laughs> to Captain Marvel to James Gunn. We've done a lot today. To my dating life. Your dating life. <laughs> that, that's we run that's a fourth podcast in the making. I don't I don't know that we can introduce <laughs> a segment for that just just yet. Um, <laughs> Christ. Um, but stay tuned. We're coming back right after this short break. Uh, back to inside the every art everyday artist studio with uh, our special guest this week. I'm so excited for this interview. Uh, it's with my good friend and uh, actress and teacher uh, Campbell O'Hare. It's going to be a great interview. Marcus, I know you're, you're so sicky. You're not going to be able to join us for the interview. Um, but where can the people find you in the meantime? Uh, folks at home, let's see if I can do this really quick. Folks at home, you can reach me uh, on several different podcasts like Popcorn Prattle, uh, like Roll Initiative. Also, it's not part of the Shenanigans Inc. family, but find me on Continuum Force. It's this great sci-fi audio drama. I promise you my voice sounds a lot better on that than it does right now. <laughs> Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Leroy, L-A-R-O-Y. I've been sick. I've been busy trying to go to States, baby. Uh, I've been too busy to go to the gym, but guess what? As soon as I knock this cold out on its ass, I am back in the gym, baby, which means more Instagram photos from me in the gym with my nerd shirts. Yes. You- Cannot wait got this, to show off my nerd shirts. You got it. You're doing great. <laughs> we appreciate you. I know the listeners appreciate you. Listeners, thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break with Inside the Everyday Artist Studio with Campbell O'Hare. Thanks. You know, I mean, usually whenever people start talking about doing a you know, I mean, look, here's the point that I'm trying to make here, okay? Barb is This is what I don't understand. I mean, how could they have made a movie this bad? Who greenlit this? Who said that this was okay? Look at the adaptation that Come get belligerent on Popcorn Prattle Film Talk Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. You'll be glad you did. This week on Inside the Everyday Artist Studio, we have with us Campbell O'Hare. Campbell is a member of the Wilma Theater's Hot House Acting Company. She is an artistic associate of On the Rocks, a queer millennial theater collective that produces late night, BYOB Fringe Disaster Theater, and she's a teaching artist through the Wilmagination program currently teaching at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. Campbell graduated from the University of the Arts and holds the 2015 Barrymore Award for an outstanding supporting performance in a play for her work in the Wilma's production of Rapture Blister Burn. Offstage, she makes tiny creatures out of clay, reads horror novels with her cat Dusty Rose, blindly submits to shit on backstage, and fights off occasional bouts of depression by cleaning the house while watching Sex and the City reruns. 
Campbell, it's great to have you here on the show. Welcome. Hello. Thanks, Mitchell. <laughs> what an incredible intro that is. I, um, I love making people make their own bios because it can be like as silly or as professional as you want. And that was certainly both. Thank you. Very impressive, but also very relatable. Thank you the very Sex and the City reruns, I mean. Yeah, that feels important to me. It does. It's like part of your mission statement, right? Like, yeah. I just I just finished the series again, which means I have to go back to the beginning, which is really tricky. How, because many, how many seasons is it? I think it's like seven seasons. Oh my God. But there's a marked difference in quality from season one to season seven, unlike Law & Order SVU, which is good from the beginning. Right, of course. Sex and the City season one is really a feat to get through so going back to the beginning now it's 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 tricky out there oh well (laughs) i I don't think you can really get like one without the other of like complicated or or silly or professional or silly because people are so weird so like it it seems appropriate to have you founding like a theater company next to even the market difference of of season (laughs) one of sex in the city People immediately are like, oh, season one is so bad. Season one, they do all those talking heads. It's so bad. Dear God. (laughs) But um, I know there's a lot to jump into, um, and I know there's several things that you want to talk about. So um, first off, let's just get into it, yeah? Um, You mentioned you're a member of the Hot House for Wilma Theater Company. Um, What's it like working in such an intimate way? I mean, for people who don't know what Hot House is, um, but for such a big theater in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, it is an experiment, um, having the hot house company at the Wilma. And I think that Blanca and everybody at the Wilma knew that it was going to be a risk to invest in us. Okay. But it's, it's an actor's dream. And I feel like Blanca is interested in nourishing actors in a way that I feel like not every theater company is. Okay. Um, she invests a lot of time and money in us. And lets us work on things for a really long period of time. That's nice. Um, yeah, it's it's really luxurious. And also, it's a dangerous model, in a way. Because mm-hmm. it's rough out there for mid-sized regional theater. Yeah. And so for her to put... We're now in our fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and pay us for our time. And let us work on things for the length of time that she feels like projects deserve. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, it is risky. Um, but it is just amazing the difference that we feel. Um, like in our last produ- in our the last production I did at the Wilma was Mr. Burns. Mm-hmm. And what we feel when we're all on stage together after working together for four years, just the emotional depth we have just based on our knowledge of each other. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, it just I just think it makes the work a lot richer and the experience a lot deeper. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful for this investment (laughs) in us. Certainly. I mean, and so it sounds like it's kind of, I mean, I'm trying to break it down to get, you know, us Mm -hmm. all on the same page. It's like, it seems like you guys are like the rotating kind of core company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do people come and go as they, okay. So there's like a little bit of flexibility, mostly like you're committed to it while you're committed to it. And then does she tap you guys specifically for productions um, as you go throughout? Yeah. Um, she asked, there, there's a core of us, I don't even, I'm not sure exactly how many, it's in the 12 to 15 people range. And so she asked this core group of us four okay. years ago to be a part of this company. And then since then, depending on the needs of the season and people's availability, 
she likes to um, first cast out of the company, and then she'll bring other folks in based on the needs of the show. And so, like for Romeo and Juliet just recently, she brought in Suli Holam, who Mm -hmm. is an extraordinary um, local actress. And then since then, um, Blanca was just so moved by Suli's work that she asked her to be uh, like an artistic associate, uh, like not quite core company, but she sees actors who work really well with us and may, and have the Wilma's kind of aesthetic and, um, yeah, brings people in. And so like Lindsay smiling one season did every show at the Wilma. And so for, so far I've done one show a year. And so it just depends on the needs of the show, the season, but it is a kind of job secure, like a, a gentle sense of job security right. that I feel like is rare. And you guys see each other during mm-hmm. a, like the year. Do you have like a meeting or something yeah. every week or every month? We meet um, three Mondays out of every month. On Mondays, we work from 10 to 3, and we do Terjopolis training for the first two hours of the day, which we've been doing um, for years and years. So and what's that? It is this intense Greek training, uh, like, system, I don't even, ritual, it's, it's more a ritual. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Blanca discovered uh, Theodorus Tergopoulos many, many years ago and saw some of his work in Greece and then brought him over and he directed Antigone a couple of years ago. A that co- sounds very Blanca. It's very, 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 very Blanca. Wilma. Yes. On brand. <laughs> On brand for Blanca. <laughs> I um, saw his work in Greece and I now just had to bring he's him here. In. <laughs> That's a, that is a Blanca thing that I will never I will I will always be floored by. It's just she'll, she'll see somebody on the internet, she'll see somebody and be impressed with them on YouTube and mm-hmm. be like, okay, we have to have them, <laughs> and then she'll just go get them. I think that's amazing. that's so industrious. Well, but I think it speaks to what you're saying about uh, your surprise, kind of by the um, continuous investment that she yes, has yeah. in you, and that's you know, of course, a testament to her ability to discern what's important, yes, uh, yeah. you know, in building her company. But why do you think that's important to to invest in um, the people's work that you really appreciate mm. and the actors and actresses like around you? Why is that? You know, why does why does that resonate with you? Um, in terms of her bringing in folks for us to work with, which she does all the time, mm-hmm. from Terjopolis to, like, Chaba Horvath, who directed Blood Wedding. Mm-hmm. And um, recently we had uh, a woman named Raelle come in who's about to direct um, Winter's Tale out at, in Santa Cruz. And awesome. She was just in, this extraordinary woman of color who wanted to talk to us about how she wants actors of color to feel as empowered by reading Shakespeare text as white people feel reading fucking anything. Literally anything. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) truly. And so what she did at the beginning of the day is she asked me to read a speech from Fences and was like, how do you feel? And I was like, I I feel really nervous and fucked up about (laughs) this. Seriously, what speech? um, She had me do one of, is Rose, Rose is the name Mm -hmm. of the character? She had me do um, one of Rose's speeches to her husband. Wow. In front of the company and was like, you have 10 seconds to look this over and perform it cold. Jesus. Um, I was very nervous. But then when I was done, I was, I was all freaked out and emotional about it. And she was like, no, no, I handed you this speech. And because it is a great speech written by an extraordinary writer, it's great writing. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you feel weird is because it wasn't written for you. But that's how people of color feel reading... All the time. All the time. 
And so she wanted me to feel that experience. Sure. And it was extremely powerful. And then we had just an extraordinary day working on Winter's Tale. So Blanca finds these artists that she's inspired and she thinks that their work is really hot. Mm-hmm. And she brings them in and pays them and us for to spend time together. Mm-hmm. And so we get these experiences that I feel like not everybody gets. Um, once you're, once you're graduated from school, mm-hmm. this kind of continued education mm-hmm. is really amazing. And then the way that she, um, sticks with us over the years there, are, it can feel, you can feel really dispensable as an actor mm-hmm. because the minute you have a conflict or you need more money or you're, you know, I run in, I've run into now that I've recently gone equity, but I, I didn't go equity for so long mm-hmm. because you can usually find a non-equity young woman so that you can spend more money other places. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's having somebody invest in us in this, and trust us and treat us like our work is worthy in that way and actually treat you as uh it seems like you know an individual artist instead mm-hmm. of a tool to be yeah. used and dispensed of absolutely like, uh, i think that that's you know something that our culture is still kind of especially in the arts kind of muddling through like mm-hmm. how much do we value yes um the arts and i think as uh you know actors like our experiences through those workshops it's it's immense right mm-hmm. we value the process so much, but we're so product oriented right now as a society that it's kind of hard to read between the lines and say, well, how much do I have to focus on process to get the product I want? And so I think it's really great to be like, oh, if we invest heartily in the process over and over and over again, product will naturally come Yes, because nobody wants to like do something in transit forever. It's not about that. (laughs) It's just about figuring something out as yeah. as you go along. That sounds really interesting. I mean, it also makes me think of that quote, like, um, traveling is the cure for racism. Oh, gosh, that's good. Right? Like, yeah. um, you're saying, like, as these people kind of travel to you, mm-hmm. you get a new perspective on so many different things that you're just not thinking about. Like You just wouldn't know that you needed it and, uh, until you have that opportunity. And yeah. that's innately that kind of privilege that many of us enjoy that we don't realize mm. necessarily. Um, so that's really awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Is that... Um, I mean, I know it's, it must be nice to, to feel invested in in that way, but has it made you feel like um, more free to be able to pursue the artistic endeavors that you like? Like the, you know, you're the artistic associate of this queer millennial theater company. Yes. Has it opened you up to be like, that's okay, because like I have Hot House three Mondays in a month. Like I can do this. I can I can get there. Yes. it, And Hot House is, we do stuff that is really hard and vulnerable all mm-hmm. the time just mm-hmm. every week and so god, it's such a brutal <laughs> feel something in front of people god that's what <laughs> blanca says that all the time she's like the greatest challenge of acting is behaving in front of others yeah going going through something in front of other people is what makes really compelling performances and having like the courage to access your own history mm-hmm. that is contained in your whole body. Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy. But that well, kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, where does that line, like where does that line end and start? And where is it drawn? <laughs> because like, I don't know if you ever have had someone tell you this, but someone told me the other day, they were like, you always behave like someone's watching. Mm. And I, 
am not actively trying to. So it was really, I was like, who the fuck am I? For like a solid like five seconds. I was like, oh my God. God. And then I was like, no, I can't handle that. No, I don't do that. You're wrong. Mm. And then I like moved on. But it's such a hard line. And I feel like doing that emotional work so many times, that's got to be tough for you. It's, it's tough. It's still really hard. And sometimes I feel, I just feel like, God, when is this going to get easier? But I, I think that maybe it never is. And maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's just the constant challenge is that when we're all sitting in a room together, working on text and like, I don't know, rolling on the floor and doing like <laughs> weird shit and like feeling <laughs> stuff. And I'm still sometimes four years in and also four years of college of moaning later. I'm still like looking out of the corner of my eye being like, am I doing this right? Like who's watching? Who's watch? Do I look like I'm doing it? Do I look like I'm enjoying it? Yeah. Like what? I still sometimes have no idea, but I can feel, I feel like it's worth it to sometimes feel that freedom of like just transcending that fucking moment. Yeah. And just being like, wow, I am gone. And I'm like going through Goodbye. something. Bye. <laughs> and knowing that you have to, you can access that moment. You can't live in it all the time. No, of course not. But that's that's a hard distinction. It's mm-hmm. a hard distinction to learn, I think, especially for um, young actors mm-hmm. and and people that I, I've definitely noticed this in my recent transition to like the corporate kind mm. of world. Is that like I can access maybe like fifty percent of my like emotional or like i don't know artistic background yeah and they're like who are you uh-huh. like is, is he born with it like maybe it's maybelline <laughs> and i'm like no it's my college training, training. as an actor but i i that, that's a really like weird thing and especially i want to get now to like you going through the wilma um mm-hmm. to start teaching mm-hmm. at the science leadership academy how has that been for you in accessing with people that maybe are not geared towards the arts naturally people that aren't like oh yes i want to roll on the floor for like six hours like people that are like what Mm -hmm. i just want to add numbers and like science and like memorize Mm -hmm. things yeah it's the the two classes that I'm teaching, it is a mandatory theater elective. We love that. We love that. They don't <laughs> they don't all love that. And so they the way the Science Leadership Academy works is they want to make sure these kids have exposure to things that they wouldn't necessarily sure. choose on their own. Right. Um which I love and I think is important. Yeah. And so it's a massive group of kids, like all these classes are around thirty kids. Mm-hmm. And um some of them are into theater and some of them have done we I've got like a girl who's done Romeo and Juliet five times and then I also have kids who play soccer and do not want to be there yeah and I think the things that I've learned between teaching last year and then teaching two classes this year mm-hmm. is that they really respond you you have to open your peripheral vision to their responses. If you plow ahead like the thing that you're doing is so important mm-hmm. and that they better get on board and that it's not funny or silly to you at all, they don't respond to being ignored in that way. Mm-hmm. They want their responses to be acknowledged. But you have to acknowledge their responses and then invite them to take it seriously and kind of 
find ways to let them know that when they take things seriously, the payoff is greater. Right. And so that's what I'm learning right now because they're they're starting to put together their final piece. Mm. We've now been together for several weeks and they get a final performance that they just perform in front of other classes at, at SLA. Okay. Um, and it's it's meant to be inspired in some way by Romeo and Juliet because they all went to see Romeo and Juliet. Cool. And so, but the two classes are making completely different pieces. But what I'm finding is like when they're given responsibilities they they care deeply about whether or not it goes well and they care mm. deeply about their fellow students responding well to their work and they want to be proud of it so at first going into that classroom and i make them do like some terjapolis breaths and i <laughs> giggle the entire time mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're just going to keep doing this, you guys. I know it's silly, and I know that I know that I look weird doing it. But I'm going to choose to look weird in front of you every day so that maybe you'll get in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and be okay, like you yeah. were saying, with that feeling of like getting outside yourself, transcending, and yeah. being okay with... Just try... Yeah, just try this. Weird. Yeah. Just what's the worst that can happen? I have said to a class before, they'd be like, Gah! they're all frustrated with each other, and they're like, <laughs> God, why are we doing... And I'm like, guys... I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna swear something to you. I'm like, I swear on my life, and they're all like, oh. I'm like, on my, my life, life, that if this theater game we're trying to do right now is unsuccessful, we will all be okay, and we will go on to our next class. <laughs> that is where this. These are the stakes. Like we, they. It's all right here in this room. And so, yeah, I've got these these boys who were, uh, God, I love them. I care deeply about them. And for the first couple weeks of class, they were hell-bent on just derailing class. Sure. They were... Typical, uh, typical yeah. you know, 14-year-old boy. They didn't want to be there. They play sports. Sure. And they were, like, physically brawling with each other and being disruptive. And I think it's because a lot of teachers have chosen to dismiss them in the past and have chosen to like give up on them and mm-hmm. be like, well, this is, I'm going to ignore you all to pay more attention to the students who are already invested. Mm. And which is an easy thing to do. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, I can, I can, I did that. I've definitely done that in the past, especially like you're talking about, I mean, you know, we're in our twenties and you're talking about how you have over probably 10 years of experience in theater. It's hard to be like, look at someone disrespecting you like mm-hmm. that or yeah. disrespecting the work that you do care about. Yeah. Um, but the payoff is so much more, like you're saying, yeah. if you do, I mean, even if you just acknowledge them, like yeah. Marcus uh, talks all the time about how he'll come into a room and start doing, like, mm. it's like autopilot, right? Like teaching autopilot. Okay, get in your circle. Let's do our breaths. Let's do this. And then he's like, and then usually I get to, you know, a point 10 minutes in where I realize that, like, I haven't been listening to my mm. students. I haven't been listening to myself. I haven't been listening to myself in this space, yeah. like with my students. And then I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm not your favorite person right now. Mm. And I can see why. And like, I acknowledge each and every one of you. This is something that we have to do at the end of the tunnel. It was just another theater class. Yeah. Like let's, let's move forward. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say about that necessarily, but it seems important. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's an easy thing to do to just, like, ignore them and, and push forward. Yeah. But it sounds like, I mean, you 
aren't doing that, which is pretty impressive for someone your age. Thanks. Yeah, I found I found a way to them, and I'm I'm really very excited about it. It's one of the things that I am most excited about in my life right now is that these guys. Um, their classroom teacher is Anna Walker Roberts and Mm -hmm. she's also incredibly attentive to them. And, um, and with her and my teaching partner, Cece Wright, we, we were like, these guys have so much energy and they, they want things and they are choosing to physically fight each other Mm -hmm. and cause disruptions. So they need to choreograph the fights for this piece. So we enlisted them to choreograph the fights, and I will just never forget. They were like, okay, can we go out in the hall? They went out in the hall. They went to the shop class. They got pipes to use as swords, Mm -hmm. and they were ranging up and down the hall choreographing fights. And I came out, and I was like, okay, now you have to be able to teach these fights to someone else. Right. And it has to be safe because it is not fun for us to worry about you. Right. So, And they were like, okay, okay. They did it over and over again, and then I saw them, they were starting to really perform it. Yeah. And they were starting to take, and then, then they started to want more things. They were like, can I play Tybalt? Okay, can I play Romeo? And they took, when they're given these responsibilities, they take ownership of it in a way. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of, that investment. If we don't give up on them up front, and we offer them the chance to be proud of stuff and to take ownership of things, I think that they will step up to the task. Well, and the ability to play yes. seems really important. Yeah. And I know when talking to other theater artists, that you get out of school and you've gotten so many years of structure and mm. rules put on you about how you need to feel and how you need to go about feeling and how you need to go about creating and how you need to, that by the time you get out of school, at least I know for me, I was like, God, I never want to do this again. And then I was literally like uh, six months later, I was like, I miss it so much. (laughs) Um, But that we lose that ability to play. And that's what's so innately present in all of us from the beginning. Like let's go out in the woods and pretend to be other people and, and get involved. And so it really sounds like you, followed that through line and then they go oh we love to play pretend we love to we've always loved to right it's like um it's kind of like the two alternative uh paths with uh like Shakespeare in general, I feel mm. like one is like sitting in an English room, giving everybody the text and being like, "Okay, we're gonna popcorn read it," mm-hmm. and the other is, like, <laughs> "Dear God, flashbacks!" Everyone's like, "Popcorn reading." Um, count ahead count- so you can plan for your for your passage. Mitchell, you don't know your paragraph. What? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, fucking. Why was it called popcorn reading? Is it supposed to be because it's brief? Brief. I guess. I guess. Because it's like popping around the room. And popping around the room, and it was that the one where you can't fall asleep at your desk because you get called on at any moment? Was that popcorn reading? I think so, but I think that was bullshit now that I'm <laughs> thinking of it. Like, what? You don't get to, like, I don't look at popcorn and I'm like, now this seed is going to pop and you have to pop uh, yeah. now. Pop now! Pop, pop now! And perform. And perform. Stand up. Did you, did this ever happen to you? You were in class and, um, like, the teacher knew that you were a performer and so whenever someone was like 
Oh, what light <laughs> through yonder window? She was like, okay, just Mitchell, pick it up or whatever. I fucking hated that. It was I the had worst. to do that. Not for, I, I hadn't gotten into theater yet when we were reading Romeo and Juliet. But I was starting to get into theater when we read As I Lay Dying by <laughs> William Faulkner. And so my English teacher had me like read a massive passage. What's the mom's or the dead lady in that? I think oh, her name is Addie or something. I have no clue. Like a really messed up big passage from As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Read it in a class and then to another class <laughs> that I wasn't Something you should definitely like, read by yourself that like, was a at bummer. night. Yeah, I've, I got real into it though. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is my chance to shout in class. <laughs> okay, um, we were talking about oh, the two different ways to mm-hmm. approach Shakespeare yes, and yeah. theater. No, but that was good. That was, <laughs> okay, yeah, was yeah, worth yeah. it. Yeah. I, feel, mm-hmm. I feel cleansed. Yes, um, I had forgotten about that memory. This is good. This is good. <laughs> I think I'm going to forget about it for a long time mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to like archi- archive that. Archive that. Um, but it really is those two different approaches. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you're really listening to your students and acknowledging them. And you're really getting the payoff from that and that investment, that engagement from those um, from those kids. I mean, they're not young adults mm-hmm. um, at that really you know vulnerable age. And I feel like it's actually... When the popcorn approach happens, you shut that entire generation off yeah. from theater yeah. um, and from live performance mm-hmm. and from seeking it out. You know? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm learning a lot from them. I'm learning a lot from the way that they respond to things. Um, yeah. They, they crave being taken seriously. And I think sometimes the way that they get over the, dis- the disappointment of not being taken seriously mm-hmm. is by acting a fool. Yeah. They like go the roundabout way. I've said that a lot recently when I'm when I'm working on directing them in this piece. I'm like, okay, do what you just did again. And instead of being like, stop laughing, stop messing around, like, okay, try it again and take yourself seriously. Yeah. And it's just very it's just very exciting to watch them it's just very exciting to watch them start to reveal their own potential. Yeah, and I bet that's... Uh, I think you touch on something that's really important for teachers in general to remember. Um, and us as we go through life. I think it's easy to block, um, you know, the learning part of ourselves mm-hmm. off. Like, mm-hmm. I already did that for 22 years mm-hmm. or whatever. I have nothing left to learn. I'm, I'm at the level that I'm at. And mm-hmm. I graduated school and I did X, Y, and Z. And... I feel like the thing that most teachers forget that do want to be like, hey, take this seriously and take stop disrespecting me. It's because they've shut themselves off from being able to learn from their students mm. and they only expect their students to learn from them, um, which I think is a really important distinction moving forward. I think so too. Because um, these kids are not, they're not the way we were when we were kids. No. So we have to, we have to observe them and we have to listen to them because they need different things. Yeah. And they're growing up. I know you grew up like in the, in Virginia as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, just Virginia schools are completely different from oh my god Philadelphia center city schools. It's just completely different. Yeah, truly. Um, well, I mean, it it sounds like from the outside looking in, it seems like you. Are, I, I'm not. I'm saying seems, but <laughs> I mean, you're you're a very successful uh, young woman, young artist, actress. Outside looking in, it looks 
really awesome. I know I'm jealous. I admire the hell out of you. I respect the hell out of you um, and your career and all that you've done and all that you're doing. Um, but I kind of want to tackle this. You said you wanted to talk about this too. So mm. it, it was really exciting for me because <laughs> it's like the question that I've been churning over. Yeah. It's the question that made me make this show. Um, is like, what, what is success to you? Um, what is, you, you said it really, uh, wonderful. Like what's the difference between, um, success, perceived success and performing your own success for others. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like to me, performing your own success is like performing your idea of success that like social media construct or like what you're talking about with your kids in school. Like I need to make sure everybody else knows that like I can be a goofball with the rest of them. But those are all very different things. Yes. Do you mind jumping into that? Yeah. Yes. I, I have big questions about this and I have different solutions every day. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by one of those things, like feeling the need to perform my success for others mm-hmm. feels like something that's important to me on a Monday. And then on a Tuesday, I don't give a shit. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for saying all of that. That was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel extremely lucky and extremely grateful, and most of the time I take enormous joy out of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> and, yeah, and I also struggle with this sometimes when I'm feeling great joy in my life, mm-hmm. I then... Of course, we'll see someone else taking great joy out of their life in a different way mm-hmm. or enjoying some kind of different success. And then I I have to, I question whether this joy that I'm feeling is enough. Mm. If I need to like challenge myself more, mm-hmm. if maybe I'm going to look back in 50 years and wish I had gone further or or tried for something bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of that shit is just abstract and... I think so too. Yeah. And I just... And, and in, this, in this time of, of social media overload, it's like, you know, people say out loud sometimes with a relative amount of serious, like, picks or it didn't happen. Yeah. And I really yeah. do. And I think that we have... We say that in a jokey way... But sometimes we really mean it. Like, <clears throat> we'll look at somebody's social media and if they haven't posted anything in 10 days, it's like, oh, they must be going through it. <laughs> they're like or falling something. off the they're, horse. <laughs> when who knows what they're doing in their life that's bringing them extraordinary joy or pain in that moment. Well, and like, is it Facebook official? Yeah. I remember one of the first things I did, this is a very embarrassing moment for me, but like the first thing I did when I like made this podcast was I was like, I have to make like the Facebook page and uh-huh. I have to make like the, 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 the website for it to go with it. Yeah. And I like made it like it was my fucking resume or something. Yeah. I put it on my Facebook page, like host and creator. And I look back at that sometimes and I'm like, so fucking stupid. Like anybody's <laughs> looking at my Facebook page being like, He's the host and creator of what? Yeah, some stupid podcast. Like, it, it, we sometimes, it's like, that goes back to, like, taking yourself too seriously or not taking yourself seriously enough, like... And who, just who knows. And I feel like that's also, you know, that's also fluid. 
Well, and your salute, you're saying, you know, your solutions change daily. Mm -hmm. I think that's because our, our composition Mm. changes daily. Yeah. We get so much information and we really block a lot of it off. Yeah. I've been noticing recently, like how many things do you ignore every day? And I don't mean Mm. you, but I mean like one. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh my God, I'm overloaded. And I realize my neck hurts and like, Uh I'm worried about tomorrow because I'm stressed about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I should post on Facebook to pretend like I'm happy. Sure. Yes. Maybe that will work outside in and, yeah. and make me feel fulfilled. But yeah. that's not necessarily it all the time. Yeah. I, yes. And so sometimes I'm like, man, I, I enjoy, I've, I've realized recently, mm-hmm. I just get so much more joy out of accomplishing tasks and doing them well. Mm-hmm. Um, then I do well I just that's it I get a lot of joy out of accomplishing tasks and doing them well mm-hmm. and setting tasks for myself um it's just something I get great joy of and it feels really simple but it was kind of a revelation for me because I was like I don't why am I not getting any joy out of like relaxing when I'm not sure actively working and it's it's not because I'm necessarily like a workaholic it's just because I really like Productive. I really hate that word because I think it's weird. But like being, I like being productive. Productivity. I yeah because for whom (laughs) and you know and but I do like I like being active. I like accomplishing tasks and even if I just set the task for myself and I need to take charge of that and be like the tasks that I set for myself or are as worthy a task as tasks that are set for me by other people. And so I think that's really important. I think that's that is that is I've realized recently that that's really important. Um and when I'm just doing things for myself and and they don't have necessarily like quantifiable ends mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily pushing my career forward in some way. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like I want to make five creatures today. Yeah. Out of clay. Who nobody really gives a shit about my creatures. And I don't necessarily, you know, when I, I give do, an immense amount of shit you know, shit thank about you. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, whenever when I'll do these things for myself, or like I joined a gym recently, and that was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. And then I feel the need to to like prove do it. something about yeah. it. I gotta tell everyone, like I like, or it didn't happen. Yeah. I have to mark these life events that are meaningful to me in a way that I hope will be meaningful to others, because then it'll be like. And I just, I'm, and I fight with that idea because sometimes I do. People are like, well, what? You ha- social media is the future. You have to engage with it. I'm like, okay. But then sometimes I don't know where that line is. And sometimes the idea that I need to say things out loud in order for them to be real is a real bummer to me and also gives me a certain amount of anxiety. Yeah. Well, and I think it's cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, the more that you also just only talk to artists, mm-hmm. the more you'll realize that everybody's doing that thing. Yes. And whether consciously or, or unconsciously, we do that thing where we're like, well, and I, that makes us a lot of sense because recently I was doing da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And it's because we want to feel valid about mm-hmm. our work. And there is a certain realness about other people saying, hey, you did a great job. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. That makes you feel validated yeah, and, and secure in that. Um, 
but it just kind of feeds into your own anxiety because you might not get it. Yeah. Or you you get it there and then you're like you go home and you're like, why did I have to do that? Or yeah. like why why couldn't I give that to myself? Yeah. Um, and this is really stupid, but like I have like one of those daily quote apps, mm-hmm. and literally the quote for today was, "Our greatest experiences are our quietest moments." Oh, that's nice. And it's it's Frederick Nietzsche. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, but. I just think it's an interesting, it's kind of like that, I get more, like, I don't know, happiness in that quote lining up with what we're talking about than yeah. I might with, like, making sure my laundry gets done today or something yeah. like that. And I think that that's okay. We're yeah. we're ever flowing and we need to be gentle with ourselves. Yeah. And I think what, you know, you're saying too is that sometimes we get caught in our heads yeah. so much that... If we don't do that thing or we don't cross everything off, we're like, God, I'm such a fucking idiot. This is the day where I make or break my career. At the end of my life, God's going to look at me and say, do you remember Tuesday, March 17th? (laughs) No, not the clay figures. Um, But it's it's so true. Like, I I don't know. We need to balance that out with. Taking ourselves, okay, that's not going to bite me in the ass. I don't need to take myself that seriously. Yeah. And, hey, I showered today. Yeah. That's okay. That's a check, yeah. you know? And I th- Yeah, I think we need to make room for different types of successes and joys in our lives. Mm. Like, like, what do you mean? Well, I, I'm, I also have a lot of artist friends, mm-hmm. like you do, and I have a lot of really successful, industrious friends. Sure. And... Yeah, I find myself sometimes on a day where I'm feeling great, then suddenly I look at what someone else is doing, and suddenly I feel like poop. Mm. I felt great five minutes ago. Yeah. Like, I made three clay figures, I'm watching Sex in the City. I know what, and and so, and I feel like our, our successes, when we're on a career path, we feel the need for them to be really quantifiable and to be marked steps. Yes. And I love getting a job. I am thrilled with getting booking a job. That is really exciting to me. Of course. It's also really exciting to me making steps in therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's also really exciting to me when in my relationship, my partner and I get to a new level of communication. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, private quiet moments like you said a minute ago it is it's hard to let those be as meaningful to us i'm going to tell like a little baby story of course because it rocked my whole world yesterday as i was hanging out with my friend lane marie williams Mm -hmm. who is a a successful chicago filmmaker and she's in town for the women's film festival that she co-founded right now yes Um, so awesome yes she's very awesome and very powerful and and I was like spending time with her and being impressed by her and we were sharing our lives. Um, and we went together into Headhouse Books mm-hmm. really quick because I needed, I was about to finish my book and I wanted to pick up another one. And I was walking around the bookstore and I almost didn't ask the cashier if they had the book that I was looking for because I didn't know if, if she had like records of what books that they had. Uh-huh. So I asked her, I was like, do you happen to have Geek Love? And she was like, Geek Love? Yes. <laughs> I just put it on the staff picks shelf. Wow. It's my staff pick. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, go get it. 
And I went and I got it and I brought it back over and she, and she said, I am so excited for you to read this. And I was like, I'm so excited too. And I bought it and I walked out and later on that day I reached into my bag to get my, get something out and I felt the book in my bag. Uh And I remembered the moment of shared excitement that I had with that woman in the bookstore. And I was like, these career successes Mm -hmm. that Lane Marie and I were just talking about with each other, these career successes and having like chocolate panna cotta with Lane Marie that afternoon and sharing this moment of excitement with this woman in the bookstore. Yeah. Those have are have the same amount of heat yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just so exciting. And I will yeah, I'll just remember that moment and it will it is it will be important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think well and you you mentioned, you know, like looking back fifty years from now on what things you're excited. I think it's those anecdotes that mm. we get the most excited about. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got a new job and you did that from X date to Y date. But it's almost in the little things that we find yeah. more of our humanity. Mm. And I think that that's, you know, kind of what the arts and theater are all about is for everyone to look at a thing and like everybody listening to the show and and certainly I right now listening to that story, I'm like that is so exciting in a, such a weird way for someone to be like, I can't wait for you. You don't know them at all. Yeah. You don't know what their story is, but you know that maybe they liked that story mm. so much they wanted to share it with a complete stranger. Yeah. And that's like that thing about, you know, really the only way to make your art better and to keep, you know, performing and, and changing your art is to keep living. Yes. Um, there isn't really a solution and and that's kind of the best part yes we Um, have to have we have to have lives in mm. order to have art to make about life (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we have to have those little moments otherwise Mm -hmm. what's it all for Mm -hmm. um well campbell this was awesome it was truly like my pleasure um to be able to have you on the show today um thank you for your time for your insight for your talent um, I know all my listeners will love the shit out of you and this interview, so um, if they love you so much they just can't stay away, where are people going to be able to find you? I, I do have a website. So official. With <laughs> with all my acting news and stuff on it, um, and it's my name, CampbellO'Hare.com. Um, we love that. Yes, Campbell like the soup, O'Hare with no apostrophe. Possibilities. <laughs> That's oh my gosh! Is that the, that was the Campbell thing? Mm-mm, good mm-hmm. possibility. Okay, I have a little mini story while we're talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stupidest story. I was working in a restaurant a couple months ago, right? And I someone came up and said something. They were like, "Do you have soup?" And I was like, "Yeah, we do have a soup." And I like pointed it out on the menu. And then they were like, "Okay, cool, thanks." And they left. And I literally just sang to myself like, Mm-mm, "Good mm-hmm. possibilities." And then this woman came in and was like. Were you just singing the Campbell's <gasps> theme song? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I'm a Campbell Soup representative. Are you kidding me? Do you me? want to be in a Campbell's commercial? And I was like, Stop. absolutely I want to be in a fucking Campbell's commercial. And she like told me all this shit and gave me her business card. And I was like, lady, this is fucking crazy. Is that real life? That is real life. And I haven't heard from her and it's been months. So I'm assuming I'm not going to be in a Campbell's commercial. But... But how it's, exciting. It's fine, because I'm, I'm still here on Not So Famous, you know? Yes. And if I got famous, it would ruin it. It would ruin it, so. it. We would have to have a... Sh- see, the show Famous is just not as... 
doesn't mm-hmm. roll off the tongue. Well, yeah, mildly <laughs> famous. You might have seen him in that Campbell's commercial. <laughs> Just doesn't gently famous. Yeah, <laughs> softly famous. Um, awesome. Do you, uh, is there anywhere else people can find you? Just the website. I'm the website. I'm also, you know, I'm on the social medias. You can look me up on Facebook. I'm looking at my phone right now because I don't remember what my Instagram handle is. Hey, I, that's okay. But it is <laughs> uh, Red-handed Jill 14. Wow. If you wanted to go on For Instagram. Cat videos and, and Dusty all. makes a lot of appearances. Yeah. She, she's certainly the star of that. Yeah, she's that a show. beauty. Um, well, and that's awesome. And as always, folks, you can find me uh, or the Not So Famous crew on Facebook uh, at Mitchell Hansen, on Instagram at La Modern Gentleman, on Twitter at the Original MDH. So many different ones. I don't know why I didn't <laughs> just make them the same one. Um, or on Instagram and Twitter at Not So Famous Pod One. Thanks for joining us, folks, on Inside the Everyday Artist Studio. Thank you so much, Campbell. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this is great. <laughs>